0: Welcome to episode 33 of GBW Podcast. My name is Josh, and with me as usual is Chris. What up? And tonight we've got a very special guest. Um, we have comic book writer Ed Brisson with us in the house. Hello. <laughs> I like it better when you refer to him as legendary comic book artist. Well, people are going <laughs> to understand how legendary he is once we start talking to him. <laughs> Now, um, we're going to be combining this episode a little bit because uh, we're going to be talking to Ed for the first half or so of the episode about um, what he's been doing in his career and all the cool things he's done. And then after that, we're going to be talking about the Enzo Castellari classic 1990 Bronx Warriors. So this should be and this is Ed's Choice by the way. So um this should be quite a uh, spirited conversation about um about all the uh about all the things that uh, Fred Williamson and the gang are going to be up to in in the Bronx. But um yeah. First of all, let's um let's get going just talking about Ed and um uh, what Ed's all about. So Ed, say hi. Hello. <laughs> so um I've known about Ed for quite a quite a while. Um, I think I've I think I've met you back in the early nine or the early two thousands. And when I met Ed, um, he was actually a filmmaker at the time. He had had some uh, comic book background at that time. But when I when I first knew about you, it was as a filmmaker. And um, the first movie that Ed had put out was a short film that got a bit of a claim called "Living with the Dead." So, um, Ed, do you want to just tell us a bit about living with the dead and, and how sort of your film stuff started back then?
1: Sure. I think a claim might be overstating it, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, <clears throat> yeah, uh, that would have been God 2001, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd been doing comics like up until then writing and drawing and, 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 uh, doing all the work on my own comics. And, uh, I, I've always been a huge film fan. I wanted to do film as well. And so I, I, put comics on hold for a while to do some micro budget films and back then i was going to school i was going to uh college and uh i was using my student loan monies to to make uh the short films like living with the dead which uh i guess uh living with the dead is it's uh i think it's like 10 or 12 minute film It's very short shot my apartment about a uh dude who just wakes up one day to find a corpse uh in his apartment which is a a talking corpse as well it's a dead guy who talks to <laughs> him and, and bugs him and harasses him and it essentially becomes the worst uh roommate ever and sends dude into a panic trying to figure out you know how he's going to get rid of this corpse uh there's a couple like creepy shady dudes hanging around his apartment his girlfriend ends up cheating on him with the corpse it's you know that sounds <laughs> it was a lot yeah, of fun. fun. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was, it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty dark comedy, uh, which I think that, um, it, to me, it was, it was a lot of fun to do, to, to do something that was, you know, funny, but also it was, it, was, it wasn't, I won't say it's gory, but we had some pretty good special effects, and uh, in, in terms of blood and guts. Yeah, it's cool. So, yeah, I did that in 2001-ish, and yeah, I think it played a local film festival here and a couple other local-ish film festivals. Um, And then I followed that up with Graveyard uh, a year later, also made with student loan money, um, which was about a couple of uh, bookstore clerks who are killed during a robbery, or one of them is killed during a robbery, and find out that they've been zombified by their boss so that they'll work for free. Uh, their boss is played by John Michael Thor from Rock and Roll Nightmare. Um, also, has Joey Shithead from DOAs in the film. And uh, yeah, that one was, I guess, a bit longer 20 minutes. And then, uh, that was, that was the one I think that kind of broke me and just me decided I didn't want to direct anymore. Uh, it's just too much stress and, uh, sort of put me back into comics. Sure it wasn't other... just Thor who broke you. No,
2: no, you hear stories about that guy, man.
1: He was, uh, he was, uh, he was, uh, pretty good on, on the set. Uh, you know, uh, I, I later directed a, a short, uh, a, uh, a music video for him as well, based on the song that he did for graveyard. Um, Something's called walking through a graveyard, I believe. It's been a while now, but uh, no, it was it was you know it was fun, but it's I think that my heart was really in making comics. Um, I'm a huge film fan, love watching films, but uh, I, I think I prefer to be you know a viewer and not uh, necessarily a creator. Uh, I, I prefer much, I much more prefer writing that sort of stuff
0: now how did how did you um cast john michael thor i mean i i don't know if a lot of american listeners will know who john michael thor is but he was he was a singer of a band called thor and he was um it was he was kind of cheesy and he was kind of known for doing things like bending steel and in half on stage with his teeth and and dressing up in like really cheesy like warrior outfits and so forth so how did that come
1: about um I think I just emailed him to be honest. Um, I'd seen him perform a couple times. Um, and then I just, uh, I, I probably just emailed him through his site and, and got in touch with him, uh, about getting him into, into, um, uh, graveyard. And, uh, yeah, I want to say that's it. Like, he you and know, I st- struck up a friendship after that and, you know, uh, for a couple of years uh, would talk quite often and, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was just a straight-up email. I think same with Joey Shida. I just emailed him out of the blue and just said, you know, I offered some, I think I had some minimal uh, budget that I could pay out for uh, actors who could, you know, spend a day on set. And uh, that's that's how it went.
0: That's pretty cool. And did you ever think of doing anything else with him?
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's a leading question. Uh <laughs> Yeah, there was a for a while. I was going to do uh, a sequel to Rock and Roll Nightmare um, that uh, I had started writing, and our you know Josh and I were in a film collective back in in the early two thousands, and we were supposed to we were all supposed to participate in making that. And uh, I remember it was like a low budget. We I think we had fifty thousand dollars was the original arrangement that we would have to make the film. And then when we had a meeting, it turned out to be 5000 maybe. Yeah. It, it, it kept dropping <laughs> by like 90%. Um, and then so eventually I, I gave up because I just didn't want to do that. I didn't <laughs> want the stress of doing a feature film uh, on, on a non-existent budget. And I think it still got made. Somebody else made it. Yeah, it was called uh, Intercessor or something. Intercessor, yeah. <laughs> he always wanted to call it Intercessor. That was always there. <laughs> um, that was um, that was John Michael's, uh, uh, that was Thor's thing. He, he wanted to call it Intercessor throughout. So no matter who made it, it would have been called Intercessor.
0: Yeah, I remember he came out to a meeting with us, and it was quite, it was quite a thrill for me to, to meet him. But uh, Fortunately, we didn't get to make the movie. <laughs> but um, around the same time as, as that was all going on, um, I, I did know you, you had a background in comics, But um, you had a comic at that time that I really enjoyed called Sob Story. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, uh, Sob Story was a comic that I did. I think I put the first issue out in like 1994 and then continued it in one form or another up until about 2002, 2003. And it was just an autobiographical comic. Um, The first few years were sort of like... um, unabashedly honest about my life uh, maybe a little bit too honest uh, at times and then later on it was just this sort of um, uh, thrice a week uh, webcomic that I was doing uh, that would <clears throat> run on my website and then run in the college paper where I was going to school and yeah just auto bio stuff it was for better or worse I guess just just slice of life sometimes funny sometimes pretty dull uh, sometimes just whatever
0: well it was a lot of fun i remember I remember one time when you and I went out for Indian food, ironically, and um we were in this restaurant, and this woman walked by us and then threw up all over the all over the floor. I, and I, I remember t- like the, like the the next week or two weeks later, all of a sudden this incident is showing up in Sob story.
1: I totally forgot about that that was gross. I was actually just at that same restaurant a few days ago. <laughs> Uh oh yeah she hurled so hard. And the weird thing like now even thinking back on it she was like at, uh, walking the opposite way of the washrooms too. yeah So it's like <laughs> she purposely made a path for you guys. I feel like maybe she was just going for more food and just, you know,
2: it was like a buffet. Yeah. It was a buffet. Yeah, it's kind of Buff a... buffets are never a good thing. There's always going to be someone who hurls.
1: Yeah. Oh, I don't it's a pretty it's a pretty I don't know if you've been there recently. It's pretty good food there. Yeah, it was good
0: I, until the lady bar Yeah, but... yeah,
1: God so but, gross but it
0: was really cool like knowing you back then and, and sort of seeing these incidents you know showing up in comic form and and they were always really funny and and uh, always had your sense of humor to them So yeah
1: it was I don't know I like. It, it, I think it was cool for some people some people got really stressed out by it uh, early <laughs> on in it I actually was dating a girl who, who broke up with me uh, because she just didn't want the stress of thinking that she would appear in the comic and was just too super stressed out about how I would portray her uh, portray her, sorry, um, and uh, I, I don't think I ever actually did put her in the comic, as if people didn't want to be in the comic, I just wouldn't put them in. Uh, well, if, uh.
0: yeah, it would have been great if you put her in. You know, when when they were, when the breakup happened,
1: oh, I, we're still friends. I, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> great. Well, um, okay. So since then, I mean, your career's um, really changed a lot. I mean, um, you've you've had a, a lot of success, um, and this is just from plugging away at it for many years and and you know trying to achieve your dream. And um, I know in in recent years, there's been a a lot of activity going on with your career. And um, I believe this all started with, um, I think this all started with Sheltered. Is that correct?
1: No, uh, probably where it really started was with Murder Book, which was a a series of uh, short crime uh, comics that I wrote and worked with uh, various artists on. And that that came about just as sort of as me being frustrated with where I was. Uh, and up until then, I was doing things like sob story where was where I was writing and drawing and I have a very cartoonish style, and I tend to want to write things that are, are darker that my style does not necessarily fit with and uh i 'd been pitching to publishers as a writer uh for a couple of years and, and not getting anywhere so I started doing murder book <clears throat> just as a uh I had this plan that I was just going to write for a year uh pair up with artists who, who could draw the stories and just spend a year sort of showing that I could do, uh, do this sort of stories that I wanted to do, um, which are the kind of stories that publishers were not necessarily interested in, uh, but were the kind of things that, uh, really, um, resonated with me. And so I did murder book for a couple of years and that's actually what put me on publishers radar. Uh, and through that it's, you know, we, uh, Michael Walsh and I managed to land, come back at image and then have sort of, uh, That came out November 2012, and so it's just over three years. I've been doing a lot of stuff with Image. I've got like my fifth book through them. Uh, Comes out tomorrow, actually. By the time you listen to this, it probably came out last week or something. Yeah, about a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so Comeback was sort of the big uh, breakthrough one, and Sheltered was the one that uh, started to get a lot of really uh, a lot of attention uh, when that came out, which was the follow-up to Comeback. So that was our second published book.
0: Great. Now, comeback was about time travel, correct? That's
1: right. It's like, like a crime slash time travel thing.
0: Great. So you can tell us a little bit about the plot.
1: Yeah, it's uh, It's set present day. Time travel is possible, but it's limited to just uh, it's limited sixty seven days. So and uh, it, there's all these rules around that you can you can go backwards in time and come back to to the present, but you can't go forward uh, uh, because. Um, I, it's funny because in the book I don't get into it, but there's a lot of stuff where like. Uh, you have to make sure that the the, the machine's still going to be there because you're coming back into the same machine. You're not just popping out in the middle of an alleyway uh, or anything like that. But uh, it's about an organization um, that uh, called Reconnect that will, uh, you know, for uh, you know, I think it's a five million dollar fee. We'll go back and rescue a loved one if they, say, die in a car crash, and then they'll bring that person back to present, reunite you. But because time travel is illegal, you're not supposed to be doing this, you're not supposed to be messing with timelines, you kind of got to steal off, uh, go off and, and live a, a witness protection style life. Um, so the the story follows two agents who do this and Sure enough, you know, during a rescue operation, everything goes south, and they find themselves on the run from the FBI, from their own organization, and they start uncovering a lot of truths about time travel and uh, the people that they work for.
0: So, with with time travel being such like a you know, there's so many possibilities there with time travel. Why would you limit it to 67 days?
1: Because that's more interesting to me. I, I find that when I. – i like to I like to place limits on stuff that i 'm working on and then sort of work within those parameters and really try and find a way to make it interesting. Uh, I find that was actually part of my problem with a lot of time travel stories is that the, there 's so many possibilities that it just kind of becomes boring um, so yeah, there you go
0: perfect <laughs> okay so after after a comeback, we then had sheltered as you mentioned yes and this is um, not not a post-apocalyptic tale, but a pre-apocalyptic tale. But it um, does take place and you know, there's kind of religious fanaticism going on and cults and that type of thing. So where did the genesis of that idea come from?
1: That actually came from me wanting to do a post-apocalyptic uh, story. And I really love post-apocalyptic stuff, which is why we're talking about 1990, Rocks Warriors later. <laughs> um, and I had this idea that I wanted to do something... Um, similar I guess to the road where it's a it's not like this fantastical post-apocalyptic story it's a much more grounded post-apocalyptic story and so what I was doing is I was looking at prepper communities um and and being the age of uh, the podcast you know there's there's 20 different prepper community podcasts. I was listening to those nonstop.
0: Really? Uh, like with actual.
1: Yeah. Preppers like talking about survivalists. And stuff. Oh yeah. They have conventions and everything, man. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, um, there, so I was, I was listening to a lot of those. I was reading as much as I could get my hands on about these sort of communities, but I, I was doing it, um, with the, uh, with the eye to doing a post-apocalyptic story, just wanting to see how people who are preparing for end times, um, are preparing and what their, what their plan is for, for these post-apocalyptic times. And it was sort of through that where I was like, well, you know, the prepper community is a really interesting community. And I don't know of anyone that's really done a story about them. Uh, the real Genesis was, um, was two parts. And it all came from a show that national geo was doing for a while called uh doomsday preppers. Uh, and there was an episode where uh, these, this, couple took their eight or seven year old daughter to a shooting range or you know they're buying a gun for protection and they're letting their daughter handle the gun and i've got a daughter roughly the same age and that that sort of terrified me the idea of a, the kid with the with the gun and then and there's another episode later on where there's a guy training teenagers how to survive um any sort of a cataclysmic event or if you know the government comes for their guns or whatever and uh i i, I felt like training teenagers with guns was like just the worst idea in the world. Yeah. And I just, it really just sent me down that path like that, that coupled with, with all the research I'd already done about what it would be like to be a teenager uh in these sort of communities where your whole life is preparing for essentially the end of the world and um how much that, that, that fucks with your psyche and how much that, uh that then, not only prepares you for it, but you're almost in a position where you're you're hoping for it right, and uh how they would react, especially in Sheltered, given there are circumstances where only only uh they think this cataclysmic event's going to happen, and only half of them are going to survive if it does, so how they actually deal with that situation and then yeah, we just sort of built the story out from there and uh we actually i think we wrote the we wrote the ending to that story first and then sort of went back and and built towards the ending
0: oh interesting so you started from the from the end and
1: well not in the comic itself but yeah yeah, when we when we were in production yeah we we knew where it was ending we knew it was going to go 15 issues and how it was going to end and uh so we just spent the whole time sort of building up to that that point
0: great and yeah i was asking you earlier i'm just really interested in the collaboration between writer and artist um so can you talk a bit about the relationship there
1: well, um, I'll, I'll use Sheltered as an example where um, Johnny, who, who lives locally, Johnny Christmas, who who's the artist and co creator on Sheltered, um, <clears throat> what happened is we sat down and we had sort of like a story session where we sort of figured out the story where it was going to kind of go and um, then I would run off and write the script uh, and send Johnny sort of character descriptions and we would go back and forth and I, I kind of like, the, the thing I like about the back and forth is that like, as Johnny is fleshing out character designs that that starts to inform the way that I write those characters as well. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, once, once we've nailed down the character designs, it's usually like he'll send some preliminary sketches and I might send some notes sometimes like he'll n- nail them right out the, right out of the gate. I think with, um, uh, with Lucas in, 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 uh, sheltered, uh, he nailed that character design like right away. He had this like the very, like it, it, it's sort of subliminal, but he's, he's got that, that park on with that woolly, um, collar that makes him almost look like a lion, you know, and, you know, leading, leading his pack. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then usually what happens is I'll, I'll go off, I'll write a script. I'll send the script to Johnny. He'll kind of read through it. If he's got any sort of thoughts or concerns, we'll throw them back. I'll, I'll do a revision or two based on that. And then he goes off and he starts Thumbnailing some really rough Pencils and show them To me and usually We'll go over and try and like you know if there's any um, Concerns Or like whatever like Different angles or stuff that we need um, or a lot of times, cause I actually letter my own work, uh, which most writers don't I'll I'm very cognizant of how much space we need for, for dialogue. Um, so sometimes we'll have to make some tweaks there and then he's usually, he'd go off pencil and then he'll, you know, ink and then we hand everything off to the colorist and then it comes back to me for letters.
0: Cool. And what, what's the colorist
1: duty? She colors, <laughs> great. So uh, with Shari, who we used on on comeback, like she, she would get the fully inked pages, and then she would go through. She would go through using the script, you know, for any sort of cues like daytime, nighttime, <clears throat> that sort of stuff. And really, the colorist is is you know, it's not just simply like slapping colors in it. They're also trying to like really push um, the feel and the atmosphere and mood of a comic, uh, and uh, and really you know they need to to be able to complement uh, the artwork as well and uh and and you know rather than like there's if a a bad colorist will like muddy or bury artwork or a good colorist really sort of brings it out and complements it and uh yeah so do most, in, in the comic world then, do most people
0: specialize in one of those fields?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have you have writers, artists, colorists, or letterers. I just happen to write and letter, uh, that but that's not common.
2: Yeah, and the colorist is kind of like a DP of the comic world in a way. Ah. But kind of like a director of photography because they frame everything. They have the color schemes for you and everything. Yeah. So they kind of do the same kind of work you'd see in film, I think
0: cool so following um um following sheltered um i believe is the field the next
1: the field yeah was coming out during the same time that sheltered yeah uh, was coming out the field came out right in the middle
0: yeah and the field has a different feel than sheltered so can you talk a little bit about what the field's about and um, kind of the influences behind it
1: yeah well the the field is really it's like the feel, the feel that I wanted for the field was like like was kind of like an '80s Canadian B movie. So really wanted to feel like like watching those old. Um, I'm blanking on the director's name. The guy who who um, Highway 61 and uh, Bruce and McDonald. Bruce McDonald, like yeah. that sort of like that sort of like feel of just like just telling a really fun story um, that with these whacked out characters and uh, the field actually started out as a prank uh, on Twitter where I, I, uh, a, f- a friend of mine had I'd gone dr- out drinking with had posted on Twitter that I'd gone missing and then uh, one of the, the comics news sites picked it up and ran with it full well knowing that I wasn't missing. Um, just in on the joke and I didn't see that until like late in the day because I, I had been pretty hungover and slept in late and um, I decided to just run with it as well and just started crafting all these tweets about waking up naked in a a wheat field in Saskatchewan and getting kidnapped (laughs) by a dude and being pistol whipped and, and, and being forced on this car, car ride by this guy who's snorting meth while we were listening to Christian rock. Um, and then at one point, like I, I, kept that for like two days without breaking character, without sort of like acknowledging any, any, uh, comments towards me and, uh, it got kind of weird. Like I had family calling down and talking to my wife to find out if things were okay. Cause they would come in like midway through. So all they'd seen is that like I was trapped in a car with a dude who was snorting meth, and who kept pistol whipping me uh, <laughs> for being a vegetarian, I think was his, his excuse for pistol whipping me in the, in the thing. Um, and at one point I, I realized I was writing far ahead for these tweets. And I'm like a, a story really started to develop. I, I, when I first started those tweets, I didn't think anything of it. It was just me screwing around on twitter uh but then the story started to develop and i was like oh so i i kind of stopped and then wrote this wrote the field the comic and then uh teamed up with simon roy to draw it and uh yeah and like simon roy is one of those artists who i knew uh could really deliver like the the bat shit insane sort of scenes that that the comic needed um uh, he was he was a perfect collaborator for that book, you know, and he would just like, I remember like one panel script I, I like uh, I had written like motorcycle guy goes ass over T-cut all over his motorcycle, landing on his face, his face is hamburger, and like this the way that that panel came out was just beautiful. <laughs> it was just it's gruesome, but it it just perfect. And uh, the field is like I think um, I described like the field and sort of murder book or the violent being kind of like the closest representations of myself and they're almost like two different sides because uh, the violent and murder book are, are almost deadly serious whereas uh, the field is is it's funny but it's, the humor is incredibly dark you know
0: and so can you tell us a little bit about the plot like how oh to... i guess i could <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I guess first I... of
1: all how did the how did the tweet thing end did you I just, just stopped i just stopped in the <laughs> middle of it and i was just like i was like oh you know i uh I can't remember what I said. Uh, <laughs> Probably I, just said, I'm having coffee. <laughs> I said, oh, no, it went for like two days. I, I just didn't tweet. And then I, I tweeted saying that I was back home and that uh, I had, had to take some time to collect my thoughts. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, so the comic is about a, um, uh, a a dude who wakes up in the middle of a wheat field with no idea how he got there. He's, he's in his tidy whities Uh, almost immediately gets kidnapped by an ex-bible salesman who's on a meth-induced murder spree who drags him along this this cross uh, saskatchewan murder spree and um they're on the run from a group of bikers uh named the smoke eaters and uh a group of um killer cosplayers who uh all want to see these guys dead for some reason everyone seems to want to see this guy in his underwear dead uh he has no idea why and it's sort of the like, sort of um a slow unpeeling you know of, of what's really going on uh, and uh you know it's a four issue mini and by the end of the fourth issue you kind of you kind of know what's going on you realize why everything's happening um and uh yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to say too much because it's just. But it's if you're like a, a fan of like midnight movies or whatever, uh, I think that the field. If you're not and you're not a comic reader, the field might be something that's still like right up your alley. I don't know what it says for me that I actually like that Bible guy the best. <laughs> that Bible guy's great, and he's
2: <laughs> pretty. Uh, I had uh, a lot of laughs with well, that
1: guy. He was just so batshit crazy. But and also, but the thing is, like the one thing that I loved about writing that guy is that. You know, th- there's this there's this weird thing going on and everybody's sort of acting out on, on, on their sort of base instincts. But the one thing he won't do, he hangs on to, is he won't swear. Uh, which came the fun was, was one of the funnest parts for me was writing all his made-up swear words. Um, which actually, I really dislike fake swearing in real life. Like, I had to just stop watching Battlestar, uh, Battlestar Galactica, because every time they would say frack, it would it would literally make my screen, skin crawl. Um <laughs> But, yeah, that was one of the... And, but that's actually... Um, I don't know if I've told you this story before, but it's loosely based on... He's not swearing. Is actually based on a guy I knew back in Kelowna who used to live across the street from me, who uh, I used to... I used to have a car when I, uh, when I was 16, a, a crappy Chevette. And um, I would... He would always... I didn't like this guy, but he lived across the street from us. And when I was pulling out to go to school, he'd always run out and, you know, hitch a ride. But... <laughs> Because I didn't want to drive to school, I constantly would like leave earlier and earlier because like <laughs> i just didn't want to drive him because like back then I, you know i still listen to a lot of rap but back then i'd listen to a lot like cypress hill that sort of stuff and he'd constantly complain about how violent my music was um and every time i'd try and leave early like i remember he'd run out and he'd be throwing his shirt on and be like, he's like oh my god i looked at the window and i thought oh fruit i'm gonna miss him i'm gonna miss him oh sugar and he would like say fruit instead of fuck or sugar instead of shit and it drove me crazy um and that guy went on to kill a ninety three year old woman uh, wow. a couple years after that Wow, so like I always like I swear quite a bit, and i I feel like there, you know you need that sort of release that comes with swearing, <laughs> um, but it was always it was always that weird dichotomy for me that this guy would not swear, but he went on to, and before he killed this person he like he went down a pretty dark path before that like it was, it was the, the killing was the thing that landed him in prison but it was always so weird to me that he just wouldn't swear so then when I was writing um, that character in, in the field I sort of poached that for my real life and used it in there wow. but it, I feel him not swearing makes him a lot creepier in the book too I find it makes it makes him f- feel a little bit more unhinged it's like having flashbacks
2: to when you used to watch movies on network television when you were a kid yeah
0: but people that don't <laughs> swear always make me nervous you're yes. absolutely right well, that's, that's true yeah like i could see someone not swearing at all but when they use those yeah replacement words yeah super concerning always
2: <laughs> you're <laughs> always looking over your shoulder for them
0: <laughs> well yeah <I> mean, <laughs> just, yeah if someone says that i'm like yeah what's up with this person just say it for fuck's sake yeah absolutely <laughs> so um I, I believe the next original thing after that was the mantle. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah. After Sheltered End, the mantle came out so right. earlier this year. Yeah.
0: And this is when you got into a bit more of a like a, a sort of superhero territory. Yeah,
1: kind of I hadn't done any. I had I've done some work for Marvel. Um, at that point, I'd done some work for Marvel, so I'd written some superhero stuff. But um, I'd always um, it, it actually the mantle kind of came out of an argument that I had with someone because. I like the idea of characters like um like the Phantom or Green Lantern where there's this um this legacy aspect to them so when that character dies the power seeks out a new host to take over right uh, I think Marvel has like Captain Universe is a similar sort of thing um and I always sort of like that aspect, that like you know that you're you have this power that's been handled handed down over generations. But the one thing I, I that comics can't really do is that you say you have a character like Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern. You can't just kill him and give it to a new person every year, right? Um, which I, I always felt like a cheat to me. I always I I, I kind of want to see the power like constantly handed down, um, because it's always like the person who gets it is never prepared for it and they got to sort of rise up to that occasion. And, um, I, I just like this idea of like someone getting the power, not being able to rise up to the occasion. They're like, you know, uh, so <clears throat> in the comic, the mantle, um, Robbie, uh, he gets this power and it's basically like an infinite power. You can do almost, uh, whatever you can imagine uh, you're almost the most powerful thing in, in the universe. But the downside is that, uh, you know, it does get passed on to someone else when you die. And Robbie is the 38th guy to have these powers in the last 10 years. And uh, so it's kind of a bummer, right? It <laughs> no, kind <I'm> <laughs> of tempers your excitement. And um, so, you know, when, when the, the life expectancy is only a few months, uh, you know, that changes everything. And so I wanted to do that where like this the the possibility of dying is very real and and very present. And, and, you know, I don't want to spoil too much, but you know, people die in the, in the book uh, quite a bit. And uh, we get to see how the power got passed down and all these past people died as well. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. I thought like, and also have like the, the main characters on it, you know, they're in it. They're, you know, they're recreational drug users and but they're still good people, you know. They're not they're not crappy people, and that's always you know uh, it's always gotten sort of the short shrift in comics where uh, anybody who touches drugs is on automatically a bad person or an addict who is in need of help, and uh, you know it was just and and the the drug use does sort of play into where the comic goes and and how it all unfolds.
0: Cool, and. So like, this is a bit of a departure, like, I mean, other than the the time travel and comeback and, um, and the superhero stuff in the mantle, a lot of your, a lot of your work is based in more like real world type situations, um, which leads me to the, the newest book that's coming out, um, well, it will be, yeah, last week, but it's called The Violent, and, um, so it sounds similar to Murder Book. So can you talk a little bit about if, if there is a similarity and then what The violent's all about?
1: Yeah, The Violet is, is straight up a, a successor to Murder Book. Uh, before we had a title, we we constantly were just referring to it as the Murder Book series. Um, but uh, Dark Horse had collected Murder Book after I'd self-published it for quite a few years. And this new series was the image, so obviously we couldn't couldn't use the same name um but yeah it's it's very much like just um it's a very grounded crime series set set here in vancouver um but it's it's not a crime series that's like about detectives and and uh pis and dames and all that sort of stuff it's very real it's very very like um very much a story that could happen um it's not, not the happiest story, I guess, but, uh, it's, uh, it's about a, a couple, um, named, uh, Mason and Becky and their, and their three-year-old daughter, uh, Caitlin, uh, trying to survive an event in Vancouver where, you know, as we know, like, uh, with raising rents, raising realty prices, it's pushing people out and it's making it harder and harder to survive. Uh, these people, you know, Mason has a criminal past. Uh, they both, uh, um, been battling addiction issues. So it's, it follows them as a, as a, uh, sort of, um, try, try to get out of that. It's, is a story about, uh, desperate people just doing desperate things to get out of desperate situations and, uh, and hence making things usually a whole lot worse. And, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's all about what, uh, what these people will go through to sort of keep their family together, how far, uh, they'll um, they'll remove themselves from their own sort of moral center to to uh, maintain this uh, this idea of family. I don't want to I don't want to get too get yeah, too it. much away. Yeah. No, uh, we don't want you to. We're um, really
0: against spoilers on here. Right. anyway. But um, I find it really interesting that you said it in Vancouver, like a gritty tale, because it just you know I think most people think of Vancouver as kind of hippy dippy and and um you know pretty calm and innocent here um so do you find that difficult a difficult sell
1: Uh, not so far i don't think i think like i've done some interviews recently with you know um sites from the united states and stuff and and they have that sort of idea and then i'll you know i'll throw them a whole bunch of like information about like what's going on now in vancouver with like how we're literally the second least affordable city in the world Um, for for livability and um, and and the what that uh, is doing to like the lower middle class how that is pushing people out like this school district here loses um, nearly a thousand kids a year because families just can't stay in the city to 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 raise their kids Um, so i think that it's it's all very real and vancouver's got some real like Vancouver's got some really beautiful areas, but it's it's got some really shitty areas and I think it's only going to get worse with the the rising um like with the that sort of out of control uh, real estate market and and rental market. Uh it it has it, it, you're going to find that there's going to be that huge gulf now between You know, like the middle class, uh, uh, the poor and and the upper class. The middle class, I find, is almost going to disappear in Vancouver, it seems. Um, I I, I could be wrong. (laughs) You know, like, but it's getting pretty dire. And I think that there's a lot of that, a lot that happens here in Vancouver that I I think people don't don't understand. You know, like we had, you know, just a couple years ago, we had a pretty serious gang war. Uh, I had just like three weeks ago, a dude shot uh, two blocks from where I live, uh, execution style uh, at the mall that I walk by, you know, the little strip mall that I walk by every single day. Uh, so the stuff happens here. And uh, I think it's, you know, being from here, I, I just like the idea of, of pushing Vancouver as, as a location. Cause we've all seen crime stories set in Van- or in uh, Chicago and New York and LA. Yeah. We've seen those all a million times. I think that's like uh, when True Detective came out uh, uh, last year, the first season. One of the things I think that was so interesting about it is you didn't really see that sort of southern crime on TV uh, or in film that often. And it creates, you know, it makes it that much more interesting, I think, when you're exposed to these new sort of um, uh, environments that, that you're not always seeing. Uh, yeah,
2: That's kind of like um, the series Town. Yes. Which is uh, set in Portland, yeah, Oregon. So that's also a crime series. So that's it is nice to take it away from these big locales bring it into these smaller towns. You know, like, well, not smaller, but you know what I mean? Like, not the standards. Like, you setting that in Vancouver, Stumptown being set in Portland. I think it just adds an extra flavor into what's essentially a crime comic. Because yeah. there's a lot of the stuff out there for crime, for like in the comic world right now. And I think if you have that locale that can set you apart from other things, that's really going to benefit you in the end. Hopefully. Well, we'll see.
1: <laughs> we'll see how it does when it comes out tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, that that's my hope. I, just, I like the idea of setting things here. Um, Vancouver, there's a um, – oh, God, I really wish I could remember the name of this. There's a, a series of YouTube videos about film that's great. Uh, a guy does like a lot of these, uh, like a podcast, but just about film. I didn't realize he was from Vancouver until he posted one called Vancouver Never Plays Itself uh, <laughs> just recently. Where like like, anybody who's watched a film has seen Vancouver, but Vancouver yep. has got a weird sense of Id- identity because we're always portraying other cities yeah. uh, in film and television. And so I just, you know, this is just another opportunity where the city can just be itself. And, uh, you know, we'll, we can deliver some stories that uh, deal with sort of the unique nature of the city.
0: Yeah. And I mean, just for being lit from living here, I mean, you certainly we certainly know there are areas that would certainly be, you know, really interesting to, to have a story set in, And the stories that are would be set in those areas here just aren't really being told either. Yeah, Like, you, you wouldn't hear a lot of stories from the downtown east side, even though we, I'm sure there's tons. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about the way that gentrification's happening here. We are seeing a you know, hom- homeless population going into different areas of the city, and as well as the gang warfare. That's... Um, it's it's hitting areas that you never would have even imagined cuz you said it happened by your house and I know where you're talking about yeah. but there was also one that happened in North Van right by my right near my parents house you would never ever have expected someone to be execution style murdered there either so the stuff's happening and I, yeah I, I think it's a really cool take on it but uh but um it just yeah it's something people might not always think about when they think of vancouver but we are still a big city and there's yep. these stories in all big cities
1: and not just big city we're also a port city which uh adds to that right anytime that you have uh easy access to uh shipping uh <laughs> you've got problems you yeah know? i'm sure there's all
0: kinds of tales down by the uh, water there that we don't even uh, oh yeah hear about yeah cool now um Another thing that you've got coming out, um, I think this is coming out in a couple of months, but I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And this is um, a story called Last Contract. Yes. Um, so can you tell us about this one? Because this one, I, I think this sounds really cool.
1: Yeah, Last Contract is also a crime series. Um, <laughs> th- just uh, as a sidebar, I've been pitching crime for like four years and not been able to get anything through. Uh, that's why I self-published murder book. And it's just funny that now within a month, I've got two different crime books coming out at two different publishers. Uh, so the last contract is a, it's a four issue mini coming out through Boom Studios and it's it it's start it is more of a, like a I don't want to say it's typical but it, it has your so some of your standard sort of crime tropes um one being it's a, it's about a hitman who's retired he's out of the game and uh some people pull him back in against his own wishes um the, i think the difference is is that this this hit man who's retired he li- he's living in cumberland he's living on the comox valley at <laughs> in Van- vancouver that. island and um but he's 80 he's he's like long retired he's he's an old man who um you know uh is has everything that goes along with being an 80 year old he's you know um Standing on the doorstep of alzheimer's uh he's he's about as strong as you would I- uh, anticipate an eighty year old man to be he's not he's not he uh terribly together he's um he's uh, you know he he drinks too much he lives by himself and uh pulled back into it so he has he has to get by more on his wits uh which is a lot harder when you know you're borderline Alzheimer's, you know, your wits just aren't there anymore. So I, I like the idea of like just telling the story about this eight year old guy who is basically trying to deal with some, uh, some old gangster who's tried to pull him back in. The gangster himself is about 70 and is trying desperately to sort of protect his own legacy for his sons. Um, and, uh, basically, basically what's happening is this gangster is trying to cover, uh, cover up some of the stuff he's done in the past that could come back to bite him in the ass. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's sort of this cross-country hitman story. Uh, hitman taking on the mob, but, like, you know, 80-year-old hitman taking on this uh, mob run by a 70-year-old dude. <laughs> and uh, just them hashing it out for about four issues. It's uh, it's, it's got a lot of, like, really uh, um, pretty bleak humor in it as well. Um, uh, there's, uh, you know, like, when he drives cross-country, the, the hitman's got a, like, body in the trunk of his car that he just leaves there, you know, and drives his car for, you know, a week because he just can't lift the body out. It's just, it's just staying there because it's not going anywhere. Uh, He can't do anything about it. Um, you know, it's just him and his geriatric dog going across Canada, trying to settle, settle one last score and, and get out of the game for good.
0: Cool. I love, I love stories like that. Like I love having a genre that, that you really dig. Like I really dig hitman stories and vigilante stories and stuff like that, but having it, being spun in a different way uh super exciting to me so really looking forward it's, to that it's one. it's
1: been a lot of fun it's it's uh the and the artist on it um uh this i think his name is lissandro estherin um he's uh argentinian um so i'm not sure i'm saying it right but he's got this amazing euro style um uh for uh for comics so there's a lot of really beautiful uh washes and stuff and it's it looks great and it it's it's been a lot of fun to run to write
0: Right on. When does that one come out?
1: It comes out on January thirteenth of twenty sixteen.
0: Cool. And you you have something else coming out that day too, right?
1: Uh, Is there um,
0: a uh, like a? Um, I believe it's the Batman and Robin thing. No,
1: Batman and Robin Eternal comes out next week. So maybe oh, while you're question. listening to this podcast. Uh that comes out December sixteenth. I'm writing four issues of that. So the first two issues are December sixteenth and then whatever seven days beyond. So December twenty third. You know, if you were down at the comic shop for Christmas buying gifts and gift cards and stuff for people, pick it up. Uh so yeah, that's um this is my first work for D C and uh, I'm writing Batman so that's it's pretty dope. I've got no complaints. It's a, it's like a writers' room style thing. So, uh, Scott Snyder, who's sort of main Batman writer, and James Tynan, uh, the fourth, who uh, has done a lot of Batman stuff, um, sort of created the overarching plot. And then there's um, a group of us writers, which includes myself, uh, Steve Orlando, Tim Seeley, Genevieve uh, Valentine colin and jackson and i am totally blanking on their last names <laughs> they write together so i always just think of them as colin and jackson um but um yeah it's been kind of cool we we uh we each get four issues over a 26 issue run it's coming out weekly uh so my first two issues are issue 11 and 12 i believe they are and uh so i'm you know right at the tail end i guess of the first arc and uh yeah so a it's a exciting tale where sort of Batman is off the table at the moment and three Robins, uh, you know, red Robin, red hood and, uh, original Robin, who's just going by grace and now was nightwing for a while. Um, they're trying to figure out this case that Batman was involved with, uh, before he went, uh, he, uh, he, he has amnesia right now in 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 the current Batman continuity. So they're trying to figure out this one case uh, that uh, may affect them and may implicate Batman in some pretty shady dealings. And uh, yeah, it's wow. a lot of fun. I I, I, I unfortunately haven't been f- like I, I'm because I'm writing it I, like in my mind. I may be further ahead than where the <laughs> readers are, so I hesitate to say anything beyond about it because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything and then get fired by DC. Yeah, we don't want that to that's, happen. That's
2: <laughs> got to be the best thing, though, being like a, a long-time comic fan, getting to tackle Batman, though. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was pretty crazy. It came completely out of the blue. Uh, it was like one of the DC editors had actually picked up Murder Book and uh, <laughs> thought that I would be suitable for Batman. and uh, They sent, uh, completely sent me an email out of the blue, asked if I could hop on the phone, and then asked if I had any interest in writing Batman <laughs> I was wow. like I'm like have you ever had this phone call and had the other person just say no and like just hang up um, <laughs> man maybe that happens but like Batman is one of those bucket list characters for me for sure yeah wow. well since you got all this crime stuff
2: coming out maybe we can uh, and if your Batman stuff goes well we can get you to bring back Gotham Central like we were
1: talking about earlier oh my god I would <laughs> that would be the most intimidating project to work on but maybe if they could get Baker and Rucka back to, to bring it back that would be Uh, yeah for anyone who hasn't read got read gotham central do (laughs) oh yeah definitely definitely for sure
0: so talking about um characters that um some of us know that you've done comics on um i just want to talk about a couple of adaptations you've done of some a couple of tv series um so the first one i wanted to mention was um sons of anarchy um so you there there's a comic book of sons of anarchy out there that um i'm not sure how it fits into the mythology of the show um. So, can you just talk a little bit about how how you got brought into that and what what your involvement's been?
1: Yeah, I came into Sunday Anarchy at issue seven uh, and wrote through. I wrote twelve issues. Um, <clears throat> and originally, I was actually just brought in to write a one shot, um, and then I think the series got greenlit to go further. So, I brought in, got brought in to write ongoing but uh the first couple so the f- 1 through 6 which i didn't write i believe is something that happens or fits into like right around the end of season 4 and i think the first arc i did uh f- follows the time where the the sons go to prison which might be between issues or uh, sorry uh, uh seasons 3 and 4 uh and it follows their time in prison and then after that we sort of uh, diverge a little bit and did like these um, almost at a continuity stories uh, that were like side stories uh, about the Sun's anarchy uh, that uh, usually <clears throat> I would try and make it uh, as accessible to all readers. So it would tell a complete story. You would still have some have to have some sort of knowledge, I think, of the show uh, to read the book, but uh, we wouldn't do a thing where Like, if a character was dead on the show, I just wouldn't have them in the comics. They just wouldn't be mentioned. And it would just be like, usually it would be an excuse to get characters who were still alive and do, like, a solo story with those guys, you know, off to to the side. Um, But, yeah, it was a lot of fun, like, writing that. Uh, I had actually had, years ago, um, was right around the time the comeback got picked up, was I wanted to do a biker comic. And I had a a biker book called uh, The One Percenters that I was putting together which followed a, a biker gang called the Smoke Eaters, who I later appeared in the field. Um, <clears throat> and I was studying bikers for for a year or two and sort of putting together this pitch. Um, I was talking to my dad a lot because he was a cop. He um, he dealt with bikers a lot. His police station when he was in Sudbury actually got bombed by by a biker. Wow. Uh, it was... But saying it got bombed make it sounds like the whole building blew up but somebody just dropped a pipe bomb in the entrance you know probably did like twenty thousand dollars worth of damage or something like that <laughs> nobody died um but uh yeah so I, I was putting together this this project called the one percenters i was writing kind of figuring out and then sun's anarchy came along and i i watched a season or two and it was just like fuck like there's no there was no point for me to do my my comic project because it was not (laughs) very dissimilar to the show um so i shelved it but then uh, you know a year or two later i got approached to write Sons anarchy so it was cool because i could pull out all this research i'd already done and and apply it to that and so yeah i wrote i think 12 issues straight um it was it was a cool process because um the show writers were involved uh, so I would have to pitch them the stories I wanted to tell. Like I was doing four or five issue arcs. Uh, sometimes I would do solo issues just focusing on one character. And so the show writers would give input and we go back and forth. And then like Kurt Sutter would sign off on all my, all my scripts, which was a little bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> but uh, I, I think that overall it made it feel um, like licensed books can be kind of not just kind of they can be really shitty they can be really bad and uh and i think the sons of anarchy stuff really um feels true to the show because the show writers were there and they seemed to actually care about it uh really feeling like it was part of the show and uh I th- you know i think that comes through in the comic and that it, it feels authentic it doesn't feel like it's crappy fan fiction or you know uh our watered down version of the tv show
0: yeah, I mean that's totally what I thought. Not knowing, not having this discussion, as I thought it was just kind of a offshoot that I didn't really know what it was about. But um, just when I was preparing for this episode, I found out that the first, uh, the first book, uh, the first comic that you wrote for that was um, about Lee Turek, who is uh, a character that I really enjoyed from the show. This was a um, fans of the show. This was a character played by Donald Logue, who was uh, who was a real kind of crooked. Uh, i think he's an fbi guy right or uh, he's x x, a- x yeah. a- atf i think was it or x something X what? something yeah it's been a while since uh yeah but he was really awful and like a really mean mean man and uh and it turns out that ed did a did a little side story on him that did not appear in the show so if you're a fan of this character it'd be pretty cool to, to see this
1: yeah the, the story is like him before he comes uh down to uh down to mess with the sons anarchy and uh so it's it's kind of leading up to him it's still him dealing with biker gangs and sort of shows his you know his disdain for them like wh- why he hates them so much you know aside from the fact that the you know, biker killed his sister spoiler um <laughs> usually say it before sorry <laughs> i got in shit for it too it's okay yeah.
0: So, did you choose to do that character? Was that your like, yeah, a pitch? Yeah, I for them? actually
1: pitched it. And I guess, like, if we, I'll just throw up a, a, a brief spoiler warning here. You're you're done all the Letoric stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, when I pitched the idea, I, I was sort of blasting through the parts of the show I hadn't watched. And I was right in the middle of the Letoric storyline when I pitched them a Letoric story. So, oh. I didn't realize what happened to them in the story <laughs> and, and the show. And the spoiler is. He dies um <laughs> so I, I it was i saw the episode that he dies between pitching and hearing back so i was convinced <laughs> that they just weren't going to go for it cuz he was dead but they actually and my my editor was pretty sure they wouldn't go for it but they actually they were totally down to do a litotoric story and uh and i think it came out really well i like uh that that one issue i wrote um i'm actually proud of all the suns anarchy stuff i wrote it's Again, like because licensed stuff can be so dicey, I really like put a lot of effort into making it seem super authentic. And that lead toric is just a brutal one shot um, that I think really captures the essence of that character.
0: Cool. Now, another series that you did was 24. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we just won't talk about that much, but it was, was it a, just was it? A continuation of that story as well, or
1: yeah, it was spo- the Twenty four was supposed to um, cover um, the time between whatever that what was the new season? Was it season nine, the one where they're in the UK?
0: The newest one, yeah. yeah season th- eight, season nine, I think something it's like season
1: that. Season nine, yeah. So mine was supposed to cover the time between the last season and the one that was coming up, just sort of tell a, a new adventure with Jack uh, yeah. somewhere in Eastern Europe uh, hiding out it was, you know, it was all right. It was, um, yeah, that one, that one was an interesting project to do. You know, it's, uh, I think it came out all right. Um, it's uh, not to, it's not necessarily my favorite thing ever written to be honest, but it came out. All right. I think it, like I was actually a fan of 24. Uh, my wife and I, you know, when that show was on, we would just like watch it like, like, just like crazy. So it was fun to tell, you know, that sort of story. But, uh, I don't think it was something, I think like after Sun's Anarchy, I'm happy with how, I, how Sunday Anarchy went. And I think that I'm kind of, I'm on a break from doing any sort of license stuff, unless it's something like just super, super exciting. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I'm, I'm okay with not doing much more license work. There's, there's also just like extra hurdles that come along with, uh, license work that involves a lot of like dealing with, you know, uh, uh, go between with the network and stuff. The Sons of Anarchy people were great. Once we got going on Twenty Four, those people were all right. But I, I've had some, yeah, less and stiller stories with uh, other projects.
0: Yeah, it still sounds like it would be
1: fun, though. Yeah, it was. You know, it, it was fun. It's you know, it's what I, it, it was. It was enjoyable.
0: Right. Um, I, I know another project that you did, and um, I, I believe I remember back in the day you had a screenplay kicking around for uh, um, called The Orchard. Yeah. Um, and I, we were actually looking at thinking of doing that at the time, but, um, things went, didn't go that way. But, um, I understand that that's, um, taken on a new life.
1: Yeah. Well, the orchard, so it was, it actually, the orchards had a weird life. So that started out as a short story that I wrote, uh, back in the late nineties, I think, uh, or around 2000. And then when we were in that film collective, I took it and, and wrote it as a short film. Um, and then. I think like it came close. We I remember we yeah. almost made it, but uh, went with another. Um, and then when I decided to stop doing films, I wanted to do comics, and I wanted to do short comics just to sort of get out there. So I had done a book with, uh, with Kevin, and, and Todd wasn't part of our group, but Kevin was, and, and uh, a guy named Chad and a guy named Dino. Uh, we did a book called Acts of Violence, which was like proto-murder book for me. That was like the first sort of crime thing I did. So I adapted um, The Orchard into a comic um, based on... I think I went back to the original story and and, and adapted it over to a comic. And so we did the comic, which kind of is what got me into doing Murder Book uh, afterwards. And then, yeah, just two years ago, I guess, I got approached by a local filmmaker who really liked The Orchard and wanted to... Develop as a short film, so he and I actually co-wrote uh, the script for the short film, and we won a Bravo Fact Grant, which is a grant to to make films. And then we uh, uh, went up to Spence's Bridge last year, and for the four or five days, and shot the orchard up there. And uh, it just it's doing film festival circuit right now, so it's uh, came out really great. You know, uh, uh, being on set reminded me that I don't want to be on set ever. Um, but uh, yeah the whole process has been pretty good and it's, it's been doing quite well at, at film festivals it's gotten quite a few uh, it's got a decent you know we got a good cast it's um, got uh, Aaron Douglas who was in Battlestar Galactica right. and Aaron Poole who was in that Strange Empire show that was just on um, it was a that CBC one. show I think it only lasted one season it's a western it's on Netflix oh. um, <laughs> and then Camille and I'm really and John feeling John Michael Thorne no, no, John Michael Thor. Camille, I cannot remember her last name, but she was Camille on. Camille Sullivan. Yes, she was on uh, um, Da Vinci's Inquest. Yeah. And uh, so it was like a really solid cast. I think it came out quite well. It looks beautiful. And uh, Spencer's Bridge is the scariest shit place, so uh, I don't think I want to spend <laughs> much time there. In the in the two days that we're. Or, uh, sorry, not two days. Uh, I was there for four days, but the first two days, uh, I think like. Eight hours before we showed up, somebody had been shot about like a 100 meters from our hotel. Wow. Our motel, sorry. Um, and then the next day in Ashcroft, which is the next little tiny town over, uh, a son killed his father. And it was like this, just all these like shootings and murder going on around us. A lot, lot of
0: death around you, Ed. Yeah, like, it was. <laughs> that's with all the like <laughs> murderers and shootings. I don't know. It was,
1: it was really unsettling though. And we were staying in a place called the Bates Motel too, which was like also like.
0: Or even better. Didn't help no kidding so i'm always curious like what what got you into comics in the first place like where did you develop this this love and desire to to do this for your life
1: um you know i honestly can't remember a time where i didn't want to make comics i think what got me into comics originally is that my mom was an avid reader and for me as a kid a lot of my sundays uh were spent in used bookstores. Where she'd go and buy you know, my mom could blast through like uh, two books a week, and so she would always be in the bookstore forever. And back then, most used bookstore had bookstores had a like a, um, a comics section. Yeah, and so I would just go there and buy like I think I, I was given like fifty cents or a dollar every time, which back then could buy, you know, two to four comics, something like that. Um, just going through the quarter bin and then, you know, I, um, uh, growing up in Ontario, we shopped at Byway cause you know, we didn't have a ton of money and everyone who's in Ontario and doesn't have a ton of money would shop at Byway. Yep. <clears throat> and they had the, you I from-
2: relate, I relate to Byway. I'm from uh, Ontario. All right. Yeah. Byway
1: and giant tiger and, uh, and bargain heralds. Remember? Bar- yeah. Bargain <laughs> herald's, Definitely there and i've was it an insult where you lived or like when you went to school people were like you got byway clothes oh yeah totally totally. but like the only way that anybody knew you had byway clothes is they also had byway
2: i had had a buddy who worked at byway and he would always walk into school with his head hung in
1: shame once people (laughs)
2: found out that he worked there
1: but uh byway for the longest time had the have three packs of comics it was like i think 50 cents or a dollar for a three or four pack of of like Cellophane wrap. They were like the polybag comics that uh, were sealed. Oh yeah, and that's where I got into Captain Canuck. Actually, it was because. Byway seemed to have like a metric shit ton of Captain Canuck Captain comics. Captain Canuck and Rom the Space Knight. Oh, Rom, yes. Actually, I wearing a, a Captain
0: Canuck shirt tonight, by the yes. way.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> I'm also, we didn't talk about earlier, also writing some Captain Canuck coming up next year, oh, too. Okay. So that's my life coming full circle. <laughs>
0: um,
1: well, can't complain about Captain Canuck. No.
2: It's actually surprising to see him back.
1: It's, uh, it's been a lot of, I've done a lot of short story backups for the new one, and that's been a lot of fun, but it uh, seems to be doing all right. There's, there is a fan base there for it. But, uh, yeah, Sectors was the other one that was always in those polybags, too. (laughs) Uh, But anyway. I just remember ROM. (laughs) uh, So I just started reading comics. I actually wanted to be a comic book artist for the longest time. That was my goal. Uh, So when I graduated high school, I went to fine arts uh, to, you know, sort of, uh, become a better artist. Uh, I, I already thought I was, I was like a really egotistical sort of 18 year old and I already thought I was a pretty dope artist. Um, <laughs> it's cause I, I, at that time lived in Kelowna and none of my friends actually drew. So like, it's easy to think you're awesome when you hang out with a bunch of people who just don't draw. And, um, but, uh, and it, like I do remember, this is like one of the most embarrassing things. I remember as an 18 year old telling my dad that I was probably one of the 10 best comic artists in the country. <laughs> <laughs> like I was that, like I was just that, like, sort of weirdly sure of myself, which I, I kind of miss being that sure uh, <laughs> of myself. Um, I'm, I'm much more humble uh, uh, as I got older, but, um, yeah, so I went to fine arts to become a comic, uh, cause I wanted to become a comic artist, so I wanted that sort of foundation. And, uh, yeah just uh, i don't know as time passed you know i just realized i liked writing a whole lot more and i only started writing because i didn't know any writers and this is like pre-internet so like if i was going to draw a script i had to write it because i didn't know anyone else could do that and so that's why i started writing and then all of a sudden like oh shit i enjoy writing a lot more which i you know shouldn't have been that much of a surprise i wrote a lot of short stories when i was younger Mm -hmm. but for some reason never thought of writing comics um but yeah, I, was, I always used to write short stories. I got expelled, or uh, sorry, suspended from school uh, for writing short stories at one point uh, wow. because of uh, uh, due to content. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, um, you know, and then uh, I decided I wanted to write and it wasn't until like I hit like 35 where I just started doing murder book and decided to focus solely on writing and cut out, cut out doing art uh, that uh, things started to sort of gain traction. So obviously nobody wants my art, you know. Just,
2: <laughs> You're not in the top ten. No, I'm not,
1: top, yeah, I'm not. I'm not even top ten on this block. I'm sure.
0: So Vancouver's been—I um, I don't know—from from my perspective, anyway. Not really being involved, but having some friends that are. It seems like there's quite a decent comic book scene in the city here.
1: Yeah, Vancouver's got a huge comic book scene. Yeah, it's actually why uh, when I moved to Vancouver in 1997. And a a large part of why I moved here is, well, part of it was like uh, back then I had a lot of interest in film, was hoping to like work in the film industry while also doing comics. And uh, there was this huge comic scene around back then. But it seemed like when I moved here in 97 due to infighting or whatever, just like the month before I arrived, everyone just stopped hanging out. There was like there was also no comic scene. And, uh, I think over the, like the last 10 years, it's really sort of, it's rebuilt and it's huge. There's a huge comic scene here. There's a ton of creators who live in town. Um, and like, I think it's, it's one of the like larger sort of North American centers. It feels like for a comic scene, like there's obviously much larger like Portland and, uh, Chicago and New York, but it's still Vancouver's up there with having a really good, uh, comic scene.
0: Yeah, I remember meeting a guy about 10 years ago, a Kari Andrews. Yeah. And I remember, you know, he was writing for like he was writing big superhero books and like for Marvel or whatever and I didn't even it didn't even occur to me that people would be doing that in Vancouver. Like I yeah. always thought oh they'd be in yeah, in California or something, but yeah, there there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. I mean there's there's the bigger stuff and then there's also a um a, a number of small small presses as well. I think you actually had a small press for a while, didn't you?
1: Yeah. I ran <laughs> New Reliable Press for about four years. Yeah. Where I was publishing other people and and just hemorrhaging money. Um Yeah, there <laughs>
0: there was a there was one really one of the books I read out of there was really good. It was um I can't remember what it was. It was it was a just like a guy and girl, I I think.
1: True loves? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's true love. I was happy with all the books I published. There's true Love's. So I did Jan's Atomic Heart, which is Simon Roy's uh, first book. I did a series of anthologies called You Ain't No Dancer. And they were all great. It's just really hard for a new publisher, especially one who does not have any sort of capital backing him to make any sort of dent in the, in the industry. And, uh, so yeah, after about four or five years, I folded, I folded it on the same day that I was like, I'm just going to focus on writing. I made a lot of big life decisions on my 35th birthday. (laughs) And one of those was folding up new reliable press, uh, stop drawing and focus on writing.
0: Wow. It's an intense birthday. It was, it was pretty, it was
1: super intense. Let me tell you,
0: um, just on the subject of um you know, we were talking about the orchard earlier, but is there any other film adaptations
1: coming up? Uh well Sheltered's been option for a film. There is a script, and last I heard, which was just in the last month or so, there was uh a, a script was being read by some name actresses. They were trying to like attach a name before uh going forward with uh production on it. Um there has been like other stuff like The Field has been optioned by a smaller production company out of Toronto who wanted to do like a sort of low budget B movie style film with it which is exactly what you know it would need. Um there has been some like uh stuff happening behind the scenes with Comeback and uh, you know I've had some other conversations uh, about other projects but there's nothing actually in production, you know, a lot of talk. It seems like Hollywood's a pretty slow moving machine, so lots mm-hmm. of talk. But uh, we'll see.
0: That's exciting. I mean, reading Shelter, it just seemed perfect for a for a film.
1: Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully it actually happens. It's been going on for about two years now, but I feel like it seems to be like it's it's always steadily moving forward. So uh, you know, I still I still hold that hope.
2: Before we move on to 1990s Bronx Warriors, here I'm just going to do a couple things, two two more things about comics, and then All we'll right. move on to some post apocalyptic goodness. Um, the first thing was. Was there any titles that we missed of yours that you might want to quickly talk about? Because uh, I, kn- I know we kind of didn't bring up Cluster. Yeah, I is was that- just
1: going to say, yeah. So there's the Cluster, which just came out through Boom, uh, just wrapped through Boom earlier on. Uh, the trade paperback is going to be out in April, which again, that's another one where like uh, I think one of the things I, I love doing, um, which I guess is perfect for this podcast, is I think one of my biggest influences is, like, 80s, sort of, like, cheapy, straight-to-video B-movies. And what I had done with the Clu- with Cluster was try and make, like, uh, a sci-fi sort of uh, aliens uh, comic that sort of had that feel. Had the yeah. feel of, like, you know, like, I always want to do it, like, with that, that same feel. But, like, make it good, you know? Because, like, some of those films are just terrible. But they were so much fun, like, especially when you're younger, when you're watching those.
0: Like, you're talking about the shot-on video stuff?
1: Not shot-on video stuff, but, like, like you know, like, the, the 80s, like, 80s video. Like, you oh, know, yeah. like, um you know, like, for me, like, all the Rudger Hauer films, you know. That, <laughs> hey, that, hey, don't be talking bad about Rudger. I'm not, I'm not. I'm like, I literally, <laughs> I I love, I would watch... It's still to this day, I'll probably watch any movie that has Rudger Hauer in it that Blind doesn't look Fury, like, a, man. like a period drama or something like that. You know, like Blind Fury. Like it's, uh, it's, it's straight up just Zatoichi, but it's like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah totally but but it's it's good and then like uh one of my favorites is one that is harder to find and i haven't seen it in like 15 years so it it very likely doesn't hold up was deadlock Do you guys oh, remember yeah, that yeah. one with joan chen yeah with Inezo? the
2: uh prison callers
1: yeah so oh, like, yeah yeah cluster like i i cluster like a little bit like I had taken a similar idea to the, the whole prisoner thing in, in cluster and said it was like more of a, a time clock yeah. that you had to be back within uh, 24 hours. But like I was really like really wanted it to have that sort of field of like like a really good. 80s sci-fi film that you would just like you and your buddies would rent and watch you know on saturday night because you don't have any friends and you're just hanging out you know (laughs) watching movies with your buddies you don't have any
3: friends
1: (laughs) (laughs) i'm
2: talking strictly about my life here. like this is like yeah i've noticed that about a lot of the stuff you've put out is that heavy 80s influence like the the culty kind of influence on a lot of the titles that you got coming out like the field has that like yeah. you said cluster definitely has that so you know it's good to uh, be able to spin your your memories of sitting at home with no friends yes. <laughs> into, into something good um the only other thing comic related i want to talk about is as you're a creator you obviously read a lot right yeah as well so let's get some how about some recommendations of Stuff that's oh, man, turning always, your crank right now.
1: <laughs> I always feel put on the spot uh, <laughs> because I'm so behind on my comic reading Well, right so now. am I, so don't feel bad. Um, I just finished reading uh, the latest trade of um, um, uh, Kirkman and... Um, Paul, I can never pronounce Paul. Outcast? Yeah, Outcast. That's a great series, yeah. Yeah, uh, really enjoying it. And one of the things I like that Kirkman can get away with, and he's really taking his time telling the story. Like, he's, he's not rushing it. It's just sort of like, it's slow. It's a slowly unfolding story, and I really like that sort of thing. Um, what else am I re- reading is Deadly Class uh, by Rick yep. Remender and uh, Wes Craig, um, which is great. Wes Craig, for me, is one of the like his page layouts are probably some of the best uh in the industry right now um i'm just trying to visualize my nightstand right now and see what i've got there. Yeah, i've seen you post a picture of your nightstand before on twitter and you got this big giant stack I was stupid i just i i buy more than i read and it's so i'm um, constantly it's so hard to get by uh, get through it um, I'm re- right now I'm just reading a lot of like, uh, um, I, I, go back and forth between graphic novels and, and, reading actual novels. Uh, I'm reading a novel right now called, um, Cataract City by Craig oh, Robinson. Yeah, we, we, had him on about oh, did you? Three, three episodes ago or three oh, or four episodes ago. Oh shit, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That book, Cataract City, I've never read a book, uh, that describes my own childhood, uh so well like you know th- even though uh, clearly it's not me yeah but there's so much stuff in that book and i i look obviously he's i think he's a year younger than i am or a year older I, I, uh, he's around there yeah so but like it's clearly we had probably the I think same he's younger ed sorry us just <laughs> he, he's he's but he's, he's We're trying to make year. him feel good yeah. here man <laughs> he's circa my age um but uh yeah, I think because I, I grew up in Ontario as well in Cataract City, set obviously in Niagara Falls, and yep. uh, it's just like everything down to like the wrestling. There's like it was giving me anxiety when he talked about in that book about the uh the cub cart racing. Uh There's a have you guys read uh, the Cataract City? I've read it. Yeah. Okay, so you remember that scene where the the cub cart where the father and the sons they carve yep. out carts to, yep, to get yep. the kids cub through cub scouts? Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, They're racing. i like crazy anxiety because i was that kid too who who's my my dad i don't know why because my dad's family's all carpenters but like we literally i had the shittiest cart going into those races (laughs) uh there's just so much stuff in there that's uh, and it's just you know a good book i just finished his his short story collection rust and bone as well yeah which was also uh really enjoyable
2: yeah all of his books are really great and uh you should check out his horror stuff that he writes under Nick, Nick cutter stuff yeah what's up nick cutter he writes under oh really i didn't even know Yeah, that's him he like the troop and uh the deep oh shit i'll go check that out for yeah. sure you
0: get caught up on our podcast ed yeah yeah <laughs> come on we
1: we had an hour we had an hour 20 minute interview with him come on oh, I'll, I'll go back and check it out i'm sorry i'm like i can't listen i used to listen to so many podcasts i just can't right now because i write although i've been listening to sword and scale man have you guys listened to that no, no. fuck what's that <laughs> if you want to if you want to hate humanity check out sword and Sword and Scale story it's a true crime podcast but like oh. it's modern true crime and it's it's like more like uh, the host can be a little bit judgy sometimes about the cases, but he sort of just presents all the information. Oh really? Here, I am like recommending you guys listen to other podcasts other of <laughs> yeah, yourself. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be recommending people listen to ours. Yeah, well I I feel like if if we're if they're listening to yours while well, they're making a recommendation, it's kinda of moot. Man. Yeah, it's okay. It, yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> so just sorry, back on the recommendation front, can you what what would be your like your top three comic book series of all time?
1: Uh I would say uh Stray Bullets. Yep. Um straight bullets straight bullets Bullets. yeah that's great david latham yeah it's uh that's amazing um i would put like the bendis brubaker run on um daredevil that ran for about four or five years from about 2002 onward um year one batman year one is one of my favorite books um just trying to think of the stuff i go back to all the scalped uh scalped yeah, if you have jason, not read jason aaron's great yeah, it's amazing he's got
2: that uh southern
1: bastards out right uh, now southern bastards which, is, is great which is really great that's another one that i'm reading a lot and then uh, 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 he I'm did right
2: uh, he did a series last year called men of men of wrath men of wrath and that was great it was good and it, it pissed so me dark, off because so
1: dark the violence was originally called uh, men of violence. Oh really? (laughs) When he put out men of wrath, I was like, God damn it. Um, the, the violent went through a long process of of naming and, and there was like two different names that we had to scrap. Um, it was also at one point called the dead and the dying, uh, which uh, was a Hickman book that just came out recently. (laughs) Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. So like, I think, I think those like, uh, uh, year one is, is one of my favorite, uh, all time, like sort of Batman stories. um, and then yeah, stray bullets uh, that that run on Daredevil almost. There's like a lot of really good Daredevil run as, runs I could uh, name off. Um, scalped uh, the Garth Ennis uh, run on well Punisher Come on, man. Punisher Preacher. Max uh, you Punisher know Max is awesome too. But Preacher, Preacher is actually a weird blind spot for me that really? I just started reading it. So like oh. uh, it's one of those things that somehow I just I just missed. You won't regret it. Yeah, I knew it was there, but it, it was like you know, it's like. I don't know. It's one of those things like, you know, like with films, like, you know, and when you, when you know, you oh. know, a film's going to be ama- is We've amazing. We've talked like, about this on yeah. past <laughs> episodes
2: about things we haven't seen. Yeah. So you get a pass, but. All right. You're I, I just don't want to hope you're not reading it just because they're making a TV show.
1: <laughs> no, no. But I, I, I bought uh, all six because six books total. I, I think it's nine. Is it? I yeah. Oh, I, I got the like it's it came out in newer trades. Oh, maybe they did which like, are different because I know. I, yeah. Because I, I, I ran into that because I bought the first two and then I tried to buy three and four from the store, uh, from my comic shop. Um, and he had mentioned that if I had the newer editions, that oh, they probably, didn't line yeah. up because I think they put more in the. Oh, okay. It uh, Makes, anyway. sense. makes but sense. I have them. I'm through two of them right now. Ah, uh, so
2: good. So
0: good. All right. I
2: always tell it. Josh, he's not like it's yeah. not a huge comic guy. I'm like, come on, man. Well, I,
0: it's it's a thing. I, I read really preacher. Am a comic guy. It's just. Well, no I'm not a comic guy but I really enjoy reading comics it's just one of those things where yeah I just I just never seem to get around to it yeah but well,
2: um, well there you go Ed's I'd giving probably, you a bunch
0: unfortunately <laughs> for me I'd probably read more if I started reading comics instead of novels <laughs> <laughs> ooh
2: pretty pictures is that what you no because I really
0: I do enjoy it I mean right. I find I get a lot more excited so
1: yeah. perfect okay
0: um, and just yeah just one more thing we just wanted to ask Ed uh, just where do, where do people find you on the web
1: uh, just I, I made it super easy. You just like edbrisson.com. dot oh. com. Go if you go to Twitter, it's just at edbrisson. Um, if you go, if you want to add me on Facebook, I prefer keeping it to Twitter though, <laughs> if possible. Yeah, uh, because uh, I've had a lot of people add me on on Facebook recently, and I've had to deal with a lot of like really insane, uh, you know, like Trump supporter types who uh, uh, I don't know why why we're friends <laughs> like why they added me <laughs> or if you, um or I if think, you go to his tumblr you can see yes. sweet reposts of the pit post that's right well <laughs> edbristen.com just brings you right to my tumblr oh there you yeah, go okay. my tumblr serves as my website perfect
0: yeah twitter is always a safer bet than facebook yeah, yeah yeah cool so let's um let's get into a little bit of uh, post-apocalyptic action seeing as uh as you love it and
1: um and you picked it for us. <laughs> <and it. laughs> you
0: picked it for us so um yeah, I mean... Well, you well,
1: asked me, in all fairness, you guys asked me to pick something. <laughs> true enough, true It's not enough. like I forced this on you. We did, and we, yeah.
0: we are certainly not complaining about <laughs> we'll having to talk about 1990 Bronx
2: Warriors. No, 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 no,
0: no. So, at all. so um, Chris, why don't you go ahead and sure. a plot summary? Sure. So,
2: 1990 The Bronx Warriors is a 1982 Italian film directed by Enzo G. Castellari, uh, starring Gregory, Mark Gregory and Fred Williamson. Uh, It is the year 1990 and New York's The Bronx has been declared a lawless wasteland where gangs fight over territory. Into the middle of this chaos comes Anna, the heiress to an arms manufacturing company, the Manhattan Corporation, who has crossed the bridge into no man's land and soon finds herself targeted by the various costumed gangs. At the same time, nefarious policeman Hammer arrives to try and hunt her down and also sets things up to pit the gangs against each other and is taken in by motorbike gang The Riders and their leader Trash. And they have no choice but to fight their way out of the Bronx.
0: Great, so why don't we, uh, why don't we hear a trailer?
1: These are the weapons, these are the warriors. This is the final battlefield. 1990, the Bronx Warriors. They trust no one. They fear nothing. They walk with death. Those who follow them will survive. Those who challenge them will die you will see the future you will be afraid the first to die will be the lucky ones 1990 the bronx warriors they walk with death and we're back so yeah, why'd you pick this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, partially for like selfish reasons, because I am finally going in and uh, am developing a post-apocalyptic uh, project. So uh, I'm sort of like steeped in this stuff right now. And so we so, helped him research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, straight up. I'm not, I, I won't. I won't lie to you. Um, and I just hadn't seen it in a few years, and it was just one of those films that uh, I was talking about with someone recently, and it's new. Like I want to go back and revisit because, uh, like, it'd probably been about twelve years since I'd last seen this.
2: Yeah, last time I remember seeing this was on uh, TV when I was a kid. Wow. You're you're an Ontario guy, so you yes. remember we used to have city TV out there, yep. and on Fridays and Saturdays, you used to play all the movies uncut. Yes. And so, then- that's when I first saw the Bronx Warriors, and really, going into this, I remember nothing. So, I was kind of glad to get to go back into it. I was like, Josh was like, oh, you picked the Bronx Warriors, and you picked uh, Escape from the Bronx. I'm like, that son of a bitch, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still going to enjoy it, right. so it's all good. So. I always knew this was like an obvious Italian clone because there were so many of these, right? Yeah. So this was like, I just didn't realize how much of the warriors this movie br- brought into it. Because I always thought it was just Escape from New York. So didn't you didn't you find that like an epic opening credit sequence where they were doing oh like... Oh my God, I love that opening credits. The opening, that, credits. Wasn't the opening that the, credits is great. <laughs> the greatest yeah. thing ever where it's like the close-ups of their gear with the spikes on them and like the skull rings and everything and the, the claw and that, fingers yeah the yeah. claw fingers and yeah.
0: the, the cool black girl yeah yeah, yeah. That and that, really that
2: Walter Rosatti score just going crazy yeah. I'm just like oh man if the rest of the movie is like this he made some good choices for <laughs> yeah. us <here." laughs>
0: yeah so you know I I mean the opening credit sequence is pretty pretty cool then we cut to a, a, a um, the Brooklyn bridge and we've got this uh, woman running across the bridge and we don't really know why um, this Incidentally, this is um, Enzo Castellari's daughter playing uh, this uh, character. And um, she's um, basically on the run from her dad who, who runs this evil corporation and um, makes her way to the Bronx. And um, we soon learn that her dad's found out that she's on the lam and has hired this guy named The Hammer to um, go after her, basically. Yeah. And
2: one thing I want to talk about the credit sequence before that I forgot to mention is I love the credit that was just action sequences by Rocky's stuntman team and the Hell's Angels.
0: Yeah, because that's because they're real Hell's Angels. Yeah,
2: you, the... you saw them in there for sure. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I, I just wanted to know who Rocky was <laughs> and why his stuntman team was there. Yeah, I don't
0: know who Rock. Do you know who Rocky is?
1: maybe it's like the rocky movie stunt team. you think (laughs) so like
2: sylvester stallone's on set of this cheap italian movie coordinating
1: i I just (laughs) imagine it was like his the stunt team from that that film i could be completely wrong
0: no i totally imagine that too
1: so it's also was when she was going over the bridge it was like our
2: first introduction to this warriors vibe because she gets accosted by that uh
1: those guys on roller skates what is that gang called again too it's uh
0: the zombies, I believe, Is yeah. something like yeah. I think they were called are, the zombies, right? And,
1: and they have like
2: their uh, all their hockey gear on and everything, and she gets accosted, and then trash comes along and, and saves her. That's how it went.
0: Uh, yeah, pretty sure. So, f- so they're like they're like these like roller skating hockey players. Yeah, um, in, in the this, middle of the Bronx, in this like weird tunnel that we return to this weird tunnel like. 50 times during the movie because this was actually shot in a factory. A lot of the sequences were shot in a factory in Italy, not actually in the Bronx. So we're, we're cutting between like scenes that are shot in the Bronx where we can actually see New York city skyline backgrounds. And then like these like kind of decrepit old, uh, areas that more look like ruins that actually probably were ruins yeah. because they were shot in this like concrete factory in, in, um, italy anyway they, they first the first meeting between uh, of trash is when um he, he comes across this gang who's trying to go after the girl who's enzo castellari's daughter yeah, him and the riders yeah so the riders show up and that's trash's gang and um and they um get in a fight with the uh with the uh, hockey player people
2: and they have those fucking awesome motorbike blades yeah, they, come yes. out of the they shoot
1: out through the that pop out through the sides. Oh, yeah, and, and then they just friggin
2: legs. just drives between the two of the guys and just cuts them off right at the tendons. Yeah, so good. Yeah,
1: and then, then we
0: have a fight with the um with the gangs fighting each other, and there's this really weird shot of like trash like in slow motion fighting someone, and then we've got the girl kind of cowering in the corner, like looking at him like she's having an orgasm, and it's it's really quite a strange sequence where um. Where I didn't really know what was going on in there. <laughs> All I know, I, I saw fl- Trash's pecs and I saw the girl just looking really awkward.
2: I totally, when Trash first showed up, I thought he was like super ultra cool. I was like, because he has that like leather vest on, he's got the big like long flowing hair I'm like this guy's the like the hero of the day and then when I look into the movie and I find out this actor Mark Gregory was 17 when he made this movie it just blew my mind I'm like if I was 17 and I had his physique I'd be pulling all the girls in high school I
0: don't know if I would though it was the kind of physique that I don't know if it would pull in girls well I
1: don't you know we talked about this off camera earlier but well um, we know he wouldn't that that was not where his interest lay um (laughs)
0: And yeah, so you know he did he did look pretty cool, but then he couldn't act worth it, shit. And then he's you know he started walking, and it was like <laughs> he had the tightest fucking jeans like I've ever seen
1: in my life.
0: And I don't know if they were affecting the walk, but I think Ed has a different take on, well, on what he I, learned from the real Hour. Yeah, the real.
1: Hammer. So <laughs> I, I did watch the extras with Fred Williamson and uh, Fred Williamson and NG, Enzio Castellari uh were uh concerned because the, the mark gregory in real life is is a gay man or a gay teenager back then, and they thought he didn't have a manly walk uh they, they were concerned concern is that they didn't that he would walk gay and which is like just the dumbest thing you know like that it 's coming out of my mouth and I feel like an asshole saying it uh, i 'm only repeating Fred williamson here um so they decided that they would Try to teach him how to walk tough and, and, and like a like a man i guess and uh and it, it he 's got the stiffest weirdest <laughs> walk. Like, he's got, like, some serious chafing going on. He's just trying not to, like, rub his legs together well, or something. Well, those
2: pants are as tight as Josh says they were. Yeah,
1: it's yeah. understandable.
0: Well, it's funny because he was trying not to walk gay, but he was walking kind of more gay.
1: I don't even... I, I don't know. He's just walking awkwardly. Like, he just really had to take a dump or something. I, it's just, like, just clenched so hard. And it's like... Well, I mean, if you're going to learn how to walk like a
2: man, you might as well learn from Fred the Hammer.
0: Well, Fred the Hammer gave pretty shitty lessons. <laughs> this guy did not be walking like a man, <laughs> well, but it, it's funny because in Escape from the Bronx, which I also watched, thanks Ed, sorry um, <laughs> um, yeah he walked he was he, that was gone. I thought that whole weird walk was gone.
2: maybe he took a dump between. <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs>
0: anyway so after the weird fight and the weird slow-mo and the weird weird girl it gets weird again though man oh it gets weird don't worry (laughs) the weird girl looking at him like i still can't get past that scene but then yeah then we cut to like this like
1: abandoned sort of waterfront like lot favorite when the (laughs) so the drum the the drummers playing the man yeah they're all coming (laughs) up that that is like that's some like like high art house shit that's going on right there. I, I actually, I I was really into that scene. He was just the, going for it. <laughs> that drummer, he's a good drummer. He was just pounding it out, and I I thought like. That, that was like one of the more interesting parts of the film for me, like just the setup and just how long he let it go on for with that drummer just playing all the motorcycles in and playing and playing the um, I just wonder why the there's a random
2: in. fucking drummer in the middle
1: <laughs> so of, of just to set this up, there's like, like the, why not?
0: They like we get <laughs> yeah. to this lot and like the when we get to the lot all we see is this drummer just in the middle of this like empty area. He's doing an
2: epic friggin' John Bonham away. solo right there, man. Yeah.
0: So what's, what's funny about this is I, I listened to the commentary with Castellari, and apparently when they scouted the location, there was a drummer there <laughs> drumming like
2: for no reason. And so they just put him in the movie? No. When they went to shoot, they couldn't
0: find the guy. So <laughs> no. then they brought another drummer in. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it was a totally bizarre scene. But I mean, really, I felt set the tone for the rest of the movie because it's just one of those things where you're just like, I see this, and I don't know what the hell's going to happen next.
2: Well, then it's make way for the pimps, because the tigers show up. That's true. Yeah.
0: And who are the tigers?
2: Well, the tigers are led by Fred the Hammer
1: Williamson and
2: yeah. uh the ogre though he's ogre in this right yeah yeah <laughs> i just call him that no matter what
1: character he is but we have I, a hammer in the film so it gets confusing I know it was confusing
2: but uh they <laughs> they were like the pimp amalgamation because they drove all the old school cars and they had all their you know their fedoras and everything and yeah. they were one of the rival gangs
0: yeah they were really cool i, I actually liked their look quite a bit
2: yeah, I actually found the production design and the costume design on this movie for such a low budget Italian movie they were really good. Yeah. Like, really cool. Like, they had all that neon, like, kind of graffiti in the movie throughout and everything. And I just thought that added a lot to it.
0: Yeah. And Compared to Escape they... from
2: the Bronx. Thanks again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Actually, I'm just talking about trash here. I actually wrote down Millie Vanilli walks <laughs> like transvestite. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice job. <laughs>
2: Now that I've had, if I ever watch that movie again, I'm just gonna picture him singing "Blame It on the Rain" when he walks on it's screen. All I
0: could think of, man, was Millie vanelli <laughs> Okay, so then we we get into a bit of a, a bit of stunt action because there's like this this um there's a scene between Trash and the Hammer, or I mean ogre scene, ogre. Yeah yeah it is super confusing <laughs> I, like the whole movie every time they said hammer i might in my brain was fred williamson when it's supposed to be vic morrow yeah i don't know why they did that i would have changed the name of the character i'm surprised i'm surprised
2: williamson himself wouldn't be like hey hey hammer's my name <laughs> <Can't> <laughs> probably
0: was did he mention that in, in he life? actually
1: he didn't talk about it uh he i think it came up at one point oh, i trying to remember what he said about the film he, he did, there's a lot he said about it but I, i'm <laughs> I don't remember if he specifically addressed that because yeah, it, it was it was confused. It was confusing as hell throughout it. Yeah, um, I'm just
2: wondering if that was a dubbing thing too, like cause
0: But Fred Williams and he Morrow wasn't, were not dubbed.
2: I know, but like a lot of the characters were, so maybe they dubbed his name as Hammer when they were doing the dubbing.
1: Yeah, no, but I think like the dialogue matches pretty. Like when you're watching, it, it's not like it's not uh, like with a lot of the Italian product because they didn't record sound on set. You you get some like really bad. Yeah overdubbing and even like Mark Gregory stuff is kind of close even though that guy couldn't speak English at all yeah um but I feel like they probably they just called the dude hammer <laughs> I, I wonder if it's, it's like some power move by Vic Morrow just be like you know like, <laughs> like, like if I'm the villain of this piece I want to be called hammer god damn it
0: yeah yeah totally so we, we then get to the scene where um where I, I don't remember what what was going on but the cops sort of show up and Trash's gang sort of getting well they through,
2: sh- they kind of showed up looking for the looking girl looking for
0: the girl but I just remember this one this one sequence where um, um, Castellari's cousin actually Massimo Vanni who I thought was awesome in this movie he was the, the biker that had the like cool aviators and the short hair and anyway, he's he's like jumps up on top of the cop truck and like he spray paints over the front. S- spray paint shit right <laughs> yes. on front. <the> <laughs> just the
2: random spray paint.
0: Yeah, that was super funny as well.
2: It's funny that we both wrote that down.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, wh- what happens next? Let's so see. there's a, there's a scene that happens next where Anne has to go off to think, and then um, is
2: that how she worded it? I have to go think
0: she said she had to go off to think and then it cuts to the scene where they're on the beach and, uh, she's talking to like, I guess trash goes to find her and they have this kind of, I can't even remember what the conversation was about. But they have this kind of intense conversation, and that's when I realized that that uh, Mark Gregory was trying to act. Yeah, <laughs> because he seemed to be really emotional, like too much for for this character.
1: All his crying scenes in this are amazing. Anytime oh he cries, it's There's so... one coming later that was like
0: so over the top. But um, yeah, it was, it was this weird this weird scene after Anne goes off to think, and then um, but pretty soon after that is when we get to meet um, another one of the gangs, um, and this is probably my favorite gang in the movie. And they were um, they, these. This gang was clearly based on the Warriors. Yes. And these guys, they kind of reminded me of the the Furies and the Warriors, mixed with the Drugs from Clockwork Orange. So, um, with a lot
1: more glitter though, they had a lot of glitter. I, 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 <laughs> or like just spark. They were kind of sparkling in, in, in. Yeah. In this the Iron Man. They were called the Iron Man. The Iron Man, yeah. yeah.
0: So they they had glitter and like bowler hats, and they kind of like peaked peeked out from behind these columns and like did a little dance with their Yeah, I, they were putting on the Ritz. I yeah. just <laughs> wanted to
2: quickly quickly point out that before that, there was the scene with Hammer, played by Vic Morrow, where he showed up pretending he was like a mailman. Yeah, and he, well, like, and he and he stormed like trash his base, and he was like just shooting up everybody. He had
1: like the shotgun, and every time he shot someone, I was just screaming "Special Delivery"
2: out into the middle of my living room. Right,
1: I, I do love that. Like it is no man's land, but they still have, have UPS. Mail right, like there's a UPS guy just walking around. It it seemed like, and it seemed like, I, watching that scene, like why did he even bother with? the getup cuz he just shot the first people he saw. Well, I know, it's not like he <laughs> pretended to deliver a parcel, he just started shooting. But he but he was he had the he had all the, you know, the he dressed up. He had the like sort of uh, uh, you know, a uh, courier guy sort of getup. So I'm not sure I'm not sure what purpose that served them in the end, because uh, he just shot. Like I said, he shot the first people he saw, yeah, and then did the weirdest like job of trying to frame it on the riders, which was like again the warriors, like going back to the warriors trying to trying to make the the. the riders seem like they're the bad guys and they're killing people. Oh, yeah. even though they're killing i think it was r- different riders that he killed wasn't it wasn't it members yeah of their it was own like gang? they yeah.
2: they stormed the riders actual base and
1: he was shooting the members of the gang oh yeah yeah and then trying to make it look like they'd done it which like I, i'm still not sure what purpose that served other than to make the riders not trust one another maybe
0: i totally was lost in, is that that's the scene where there was like that guy and the, the black chick making out on the stairs that's yeah, right yeah, yeah. then he like yeah shot them both yeah that was really weird
2: yeah, he's just like they're making out and they're like what are you doing here and he just shoots them, and then he just starts shooting everybody and running away and yeah. It was a weird scene. Yeah. But I guess it was the intention of it was to just know how hardcore Hammer, Hammer was. was. Yeah. yeah. Cuz yeah. Vic Morrow played it to the like the max in this movie. He
1: was great. He was and also this is like uh, worth noting his last feature film before yeah. tragically dying on uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sorry to bring it down. So let's guys. go back to
0: the gang. <laughs> let, let, no let, let's... No way, I brought it down on, with Twilight Zone before. Don't yeah. <laughs> let, let's bring this
1: mood back up and talk about our jazz hands gang. Well hold on, I just want to talk before we get to jazz hands because my favorite character name throughout the whole film is Chris Christopher Connolly's character hot dog yeah <laughs> uh, as just like a rando driving a uh, a delivery truck around like i like I'm a still... rig though right? well it yeah. was it was
2: um, it was the brother of ice who was the brainy guy in The ride. Oh, it, were they supposed to be brothers? They were brothers. Oh, I didn't <laughs> realize. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: wow. You really dug deep into the plot of this
2: one. No, I was, I was paying hardcore attention <laughs> when I watched this movie. I was having issues trying to keep the plot forward, so I was just, like, focused. Because I had this has this leadership ambition and hot dogs like one day he's going to be the leader of the riders you just watch and you know and there's that part where they made him pull over and he got in the truck and had a conversation with him and that's where i found out they were brothers
0: oh Oh, i didn't i I totally missed that i I watched it twice (coughs) and didn't get that I loved Ice though. I thought this character was really cool.
1: I love I love, I I was like when I was watching the film I was writing down so many of his lines. So it's like think you gotta use your gray matter, man. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. So the no, guy put that, your
1: gray matter to work. That's what he said, put your gray matter to work and think. <laughs> the guy that played ice is
0: actually a doctor and he worked in Africa and he was like studied malaria and shit. Like he was like a doctor and a scientist in real life and he wrote Shaka Zulu. What? Yeah. <laughs> totally bizarre. The guy's name is Joshua Sinclair, so he's a doctor, um, professor, writer, actor. And a wow. Well, well, from New York. Not just, <laughs> not just an actor.
2: A genius B
0: movie actor. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's he quite, he quite he huge. was
2: probably he was probably my favorite character apart from
1: Vic Morrow in the movie though.
0: Ice? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty cool. I, I
1: I was still rooting for hot dog throughout the whole thing.
0: I I was rooting for him too. He just seemed like kind of a nice guy that was in the wrong place. And, and also,
1: like, did you notice he had like um like a step orthotic when he got out of the truck like one leg was shorter than the other <laughs> no, I... see uh, see I noticed they were brothers but I never noticed no that it was like was... One, of his, one of his souls was like you know when you see someone with a, a, a one leg shorter than the other really uh, yeah one of his souls was like how the
0: hell did you notice that
1: it's just because he was getting out of the truck and I saw his feet and I, and I was trying to figure out if that's like really what the actor is like or if this was like starting trying to play into like this was part of the character this he's in the orthotics yeah. gang you better watch out for them I didn't know wow. if it was like a serious thing with the with the character or you know so i kept waiting for it to come up like it just at some point but uh, it never did so it may be just that that actor uh has one leg shorter than the other wow and you know, have a character be like trash comes up he's like hot dog how's your leg
0: <laughs> how's your leg today that's super interesting like how we all see different things <laughs> okay so getting back to the droop the droop furies um Who? so they pop out from the behind are these... they
2: called again the zombies the Tin Men. Oh, the, the Tin Men. The yeah. Tin Men. Perfect. Everyone in this movie had a weird fucking. So they were name. really
0: cool. They they were actually all real professional um, professional dancers. So they were like, yeah, I think it was Trash and Ice.
1: And uh, what's her name? Uh, and Anne. Anne. Yeah.
0: Oh, and no, it was Trash was, and uh, Mas- was Massimo Vanni, the uh, okay. the guy with the right. cool aviator glasses. They show up and they they come across this group and they're about to get into a fight with the. Uh, with the drug the Drug furies and the um, or sorry the the Tin Man I, tin I feel man. like
1: they weren't going to get in a fight it
0: literally looked like a
1: setup for a dance off <laughs> I just like, I just
2: liked
0: when they first walked in the room
2: they were all standing behind pillars perfectly to come spinning out with their canes and everything I it was they like were cool. it was so coordinated yeah, when they came into the place. It's like, what gang st- stands around, like, waiting for someone to visit them so they can do this coordinated dance out?
0: I know, I know. And, you know, I was, like, so excited because, again, thanks, Ed, they showed up in Escape <laughs> from the Bronx. Yeah. But they were, like, background. It in, was, like, su- well, it was right. five seconds. It was super annoying. But um, <clears throat> who's their leader? Their leader was this, this woman. And uh, she sort of stops them and says, "Hey, trash, you don't need to fight these guys or I'm she's a
1: crazy jazz hands going on while she's talking. yeah, yeah.
0: she was awesome, and she <laughs> sort of stops this this dance off or fight or whatever was gonna happen. She stops it from happening, so moving on from there we um I think we get on I wrote down general guy with glasses, but I don't know what i what I wrote that down for, but we get to um." the three of them get past the the jazz hands and the uh, druid warriors or the druid furies and get and they come into another complex where they run across this uh, these other people that are called the scavengers yes and these guys look like they you know they kind of like half out of a fulci zombie movie or something but not really, and they're wearing... They more look like they were out of, like, Erotic Knights of the Living Dead or something. But I was,
1: they almost look like they're out of, like, some sort of Shakespeare play, like 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 local production of a Shakespeare, per, you know, uh, as, as like, just peasants or like Peasants with just, like, a lot of, like, they have white stuff. On yeah, them. Well, actually, they of them. had, like fur all over them, and they were like gray. right? they were like, I the they just wearing rags
2: video. or whatever? Yeah, What's they that? were,
0: like nightboat, and they're grand, and, grand and they're video, they're yeah. leaping
2: around, grunting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they kind of were like, you ever seen that um, uh, Wheels of Fire? That
0: uh, no, I haven't seen that one yet.
2: That serial H Santiago Gem, No. post no. apocalyptic gem. There's a scene in it where he where the hero goes into a cave in it, like just randomly, and there's guys who look exactly like that in the cave, but they just happen to be midgets in that movie. <laughs>
0: I guess, the they the guard kind of was like the, the agreed upon scavenger in a post-apocalyptic look. Yes, they kind of had that look to them. Maybe not. Dirty They're like enough.
2: a, a low-budget uh, Jawa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Kind of like that. They were just, they were just kind of weird. But um, anyway, they were there, and um, I think there was there was some a bit of a confrontation there. But that was they were on their way to meet up with Fred Williamson at this point, right? Yes. Okay.
2: I just found the movie was getting pretty repetitive here because they would, like, just randomly stumble upon other groups and get in, like, minor fisticuffs with them and stuff.
0: I know. Kill me now, but, I mean, it was way better the second time, believe it or not. Like, I actually I, didn't mind. I watched I liked it twice it. in a row this week. I had a, I had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. Uh, I
2: liked it, but it just... It was repetitive in the midsection because it was just them going from one location to another yeah. and getting into, like, these minor fights. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, you had to... Uh, the ha- hammer just creeping around in the background trying to set everybody up. And Not everything. Fred
0: Williamson, but Vic Morrow Hammer.
2: Yeah, character hammer. So
0: maybe we should say the Morrowhammer. Yeah. Morrow, Morrow Hammer. Yeah, Morrow Hammer.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a friggin' Elder Scrolls video game or something. <laughs> it, also, it, it also feels like I, I really had a hard time judging the geography of this place because it seemed like trash and was it was Ice who were traveling together. It uh, was
0: that other guy. I didn't write down the character's name, it was the guy with the cool shades.
1: Uh, no, and then there was that
0: other guy that there was because Ice was off with like plotting shit. Is
1: that Hawk and Blade. Is it, is it uh, Hawk?
0: Yeah, Hawk. Right. Hawk was the cool guy with the shades and the straight hair. I couldn't keep all was, their nicknames in order. Then there was another guy, and he he totally reminded me of this like guy that was always in the '80s action movies, but I couldn't remember can't remember his name. But there was another guy that was with Trash as who, well. Who
1: caught up with them? He's the guy who yeah. he's dropped and knew that Ice was going to. S- ice was working with hammer yes to set him up yeah and but and that just going back to that scene in the truck where like hammer asks hammer ass for that he's like what's something i can use to make like them think oh, that yeah. this is trash and he gives him that like that sort of spear staff yeah. sort of thing that he has that also every other member of his gang seems to have. Like
3: <laughs> so,
2: it, just, ch- it looked to me like a spike dildo or something. Yeah. So I was wondering what the riders were doing with
1: each other in their spare time. But uh, um, <laughs> You like that one? <laughs> totally I totally lost track of what I was gonna say. But oh yeah, what I was saying is like so there like it seems like Trash and Hawk are traveling forever. Yeah. they they got past the scavengers and stuff. But when like t- I guess it's more towards the end of the film when 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 Morrowhammer Goes after them. <laughs> he seems to catch up with them in about thirty seconds. Yeah, he like I mean, sort like the Jason of the post-apocalypse. Yeah. He literally walks out of like the Riders HQ and appears in the tunnel system, like <laughs> around the corner from Trash, like skulking. Like, I, and I'm not even sure because he, he was close enough that he had ample opportunity to shoot them in the back, like about thirty times. Right, but just I guess wanted to let them get to. Uh, get to ogre get to the uh, the tigers yeah
2: wasn't there wasn't <laughs> it when they were like going through the scavengers there was there was that scene where they like they found one of their members like strung up from the ceiling yes like and then the thing I remember about that is like when he's strung up from the ceiling there was this sweet guitar riff just playing the
0: entire time and it was like so far away and it was like and then Trash just sees him and it's like just a sudden like you know and he's like it looks like he's gonna start crying right away I think he did start crying he did cry in that scene
3: he's got
2: he's he's spreading his wings as a thespian Give him
0: no, a break he, he walks over and this is the, this is the character I actually really liked was the guy that got the guy that was hung up But yeah, Trash sort of walks over to him and and then it like turns into this like super tender, like seriously, like like they were lovers scene. (laughs) And like, I guess they were just brothers in arms, but, but, um, yeah, like he's like puts his hands on his face and it's very tender. And then a single Uh tear comes down... (laughs) Oh my god! Like I'm you, gonna start just, crying, guys. <laughs>
1: do you think it was a real tear? Or do you think it was Visine?
0: I think it was a real tear. Yeah, I think maybe those like,
1: pants were cutting off his yeah. of circulation. Something was
0: going on, man. But it was just weird, and like his bone sticking out of the poor guy's arm. And all oh, right,
1: I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and he's like uh.
0: trash, get him or something. I like just,
2: that. I was just like too busy digging that guitar riff. There was just this wicked guitar riff going the entire time.
0: It was a pretty awesome scene. <laughs> So oh, so I man. think I think next I well actually I think right before that um Trash also finally meets up with Fred Williamson and um Ogre Ogre and um and they have a little chat. Um and there and beside Ogre also has this sidekick who's called the witch. Yeah. She she's is this, so like, good. Badass girl who's like, um yeah, I really liked her outfit and um yeah, she's got a whip and she's pretty kick ass.
1: She was like um olympic athlete in real life was she really yeah i'm trying to remember what she was doing. i think fred williamson was like dating her at the time or something and that's how she ended up in the film
0: i know she was dating someone yeah. and uh, and this is the only movie she ever made it's a shame because i thought yeah. she was pretty cool
1: but no she's uh i think she's a i want to say an olympic swimmer but I, I could be way off on that
0: she was awesome though i loved her
1: betty desi that yeah. was her
2: yeah she had like that uh, she's the one whose hand we saw in the opening credits with those uh Metal fingers, yeah,
0: those metal fingers kick ass, and they oh. do come into play. Oh yeah. So um, the next thing that happens that um, I think <laughs> my my uh, chrono- chronology we
2: always get it out of whack, especially when a movie's been like because the movie is repetitive. You well, kind of
0: like scenes, right? It's yeah, like these cool scenes. Yeah, but then they run into this guy named Golan I think his name is. <clears> anyway, <throat> he's played by Anthropopagus himself, George Eastman, that, yep. and he's like a giant guy with a beard. And, um, just to bet he wasn't munching guts when they came upon him. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Or if he pulled out someone's guts and just started <laughs> eating the intestines right then and there. But they he gets into a confrontation with why the fuck can you know because I keep thinking of hammer as hammer, but he's not ogre. Hammer, he's ogre. So he gets into a confrontation. just think of Revenge of the Nerds, man. He gets into a confrontation with ogre, and this is like classic Williamson because there's a scene where like him and him and the George Eastman character are like up against each other and they're like gonna fight but then george eastman's um henchmen all sort of surround them and then fred williamson's like well they're all around me but i'm out in front of you and then they get into a fight and i thought that was super awesome
1: so um i totally you know i totally zoned them that scene i totally forget because that was the uh, zombies again or whatever that the roller skating gang was because they had was, yeah, the
0: roller skating game
1: yes they had ann at that point I, I don't even remember how they got her
0: right she kind of <laughs>
2: drifted in and out of the movie she'd yeah. be like one moment she'd be hanging out with trash and then the next minute she's somewhere else and you're just like
0: no because they threw the net over trash they threw a net yeah. over right that's trash. right they yeah, yeah, got yeah.
1: her away right
0: yeah yeah so and I guess George Eastman is the leader of that game yes yeah okay. When
1: the coolest like silver and red like ninja like <laughs> 80s ninja style outfit
0: yeah yeah so there's a there's a little fight between him and and Williamson and um, yeah so that that all happens and then we we um, and then the George Eastman dies and then, um, spoiler, it, no, we're so doing full spoilers. Spoiler. <laughs> but then there's this weird rescue sequence with, with Ogre. And, um, do you remember this, this happened right afterwards? And I think, I think they, the three of them, I think it was Ogre and I can't remember what happened. Ogre and, um, the witch and William and, um, Mark Gregory, yeah, they went off somewhere um and the thing that struck me about the scene is it was kind of a cool sequence and there was they were also fighting all the guys with the um with the hockey sticks too
1: yeah and also like so betty desi or or the witch who i I looked up while we were talking was an olympic uh swimmer oh nice and uh, a golden a golden bronze medalist but um (laughs) she had not just a clause but she had a whip and she whipped like two people and for the rest of the fights That she was in She just smacked them In the in the face With the butt of her whip That's true She like Just was not whipping A whole lot <laughs> She was just like Hitting them with the, with the blunt end of it And well, uh,
0: I remember she whipped Someone around the, their neck And yeah, pulled them down Of course That was pretty cool And
2: then she was using Her claws a bunch of times To yeah. just slice
1: people up
0: And I remember She whipped for no reason once Yes When she was running away They were
1: running away And she just did a nice <laughs> That whip. was her parting shot She was like See yeah. boys
0: Yeah She was awesome though I loved her but in, that, in the whole rescue sequence, there was no music. Did you guys notice that?
1: I didn't. You it know. was
0: weird. It was like there was no music like whatsoever. It was just silence, and the, except for the fight sound.
2: So during a scene when the guy was strung up when they should have had no music, because it was a tender moment with a single tear, well, they had a guitar riff going. But then when there was a fight later, they had nothing.
0: Yeah, no, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was no music. It was totally bizarre. I don't know if they ran out of budget or what happened, but it was really weird. So... um. After the rescue... I and-
2: also want to mention that during that fighting scene when she was kicking all the ass, there was a decapitation. Oh, was there? That was really good. Did she
0: do the decapitating?
2: I think she was responsible.
1: I'm trying to remember it now.
0: See, it's all a fucking blur to me, man. <laughs>
2: they all kind of blur together after a while. And especially because we watched Escape from the Bronx two days after. Thanks a lot. And... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: So then, okay. So then we learn that Ice is, you know, what well, we kind of knew all along that Ice was not not a good guy, but um, he he double crosses um, he double crosses Trash. He calls a girl a twat, and then um, oh, and he and then he gets into a thing with his brother, I guess Chris Connolly, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't notice if his legs were off at all in the scene, but <laughs> anyway, he he ends up getting killed. He gets thrown down to a into a pit. I can't remember who throws him down into the pit.
1: Someone Does Hot Dog get killed or Ice gets killed? Ice. No, I,
0: uh, Hot Dog gets killed.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. And
0: then Ice gets killed. Yes. But I can't remember who killed Ice. Someone threw him down and remember he got impaled in that thing? Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember what happened. I
1: think, didn't Hammer kill Hot Dog? No. No? It wasn't Hammer? No, I don't think it was I'm Hammer. i Oh, shit.
0: No, it was either Mark Gregory or his girl.
1: Next time, I'm going to watch a movie the night before rather than the week before.
0: I just, <laughs> you know, I don't know what it says that I've watched this twice and I can't get this shit straight. Yeah, um, yeah anyways... Sometimes, sometimes it's all a blur. Yeah. So after after ice gets uh, ice double crosses and his life ends
1: after ice gets iced. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, uh, Mor- I was waiting. Morag <laughs>
0: was off somewhere, but the rest of our characters seem they have a celebration now. Um,
1: Where compl- Anne, w- w- Anne plays the piano and, and we- everyone's <laughs> just in in rapture with how beautifully she plays the piano.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> it, that's her deal, right? Yeah. And then there, this giant. Cake in the size in the that shape like Manhattan Island comes out. Do you remember that cake? Yes, it was With an like, ugly cake, super like ugly, but yeah, really cool. So that comes out, and um, they're having a big celebration. And then tomorrow, I guess was he in a helicopter or something. But anyway, he comes back dressed like weird. Well, he was dressed. He, like, he's dressed
3: like
2: a, a Gestapo. Almost. Yeah, he was yeah. totally dressed like he was a a, a Nazi officer.
0: See, I was getting a real, like, kind of, like... Old school cop? No, uh, Like, more, Keystone Cops? More
1: like village people cops. <laughs> no,
0: yeah, I was getting a real... It like, would fit uh, in
1: with the theme. Yeah,
0: I was getting a real <laughs> vibe off him in this in this sequence. Well, he
1: shows up with the cops, though. Isn't, it, isn't that who's with him, though? Isn't, yeah, he brings police, all yeah. the, like... He brings all the department with him to... Who happened to be on horses. Like, where did the horses come from? Like, they're, all the cops were on horses. They're on horses, and they got flamethrowers. Yeah, uh, which I I uh, I had tweeted while I was watching that film that automatically any movie where the bad guys got a flamethrower is a ten out of ten. That film,
0: you'll oh, oh. love Escape from the Bronx, because yeah. <laughs> it's fucking flamethrower city, awesome. All you see is flamethrowers and face smashes and people blowing up. <laughs> Yet
2: we didn't like it as much. So uh... I like
0: the people. there's a lot of people blowing up. There was a lot of explosions. But any fucking that fucking little kid. Um,
2: They're at Ogre's base at this time when he storms the base, and then all the gangs have to unify together, yeah. to fight the cops. And I remember Ogre having a knife fight with one against a hockey stick guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. it's so good. I was expecting him to be like puffing on a cigar while he's having the knife fight too. But
1: he, did he, he had his cigar? Did, oh, did he, he had a cigar throughout the he, entire. Thing. He definitely never, had, it. but it was never lit. <laughs> well, it did get lit. I mean, we'll get to that part later. But like, so tell us
0: about about the Haber cigars. Oh yeah. So this is the thing
1: from watching the the extras on the DVDs that Fred Williamson uh, apparently the the cigars are his trademark. Which, having watched about thirty Fred Williamson films. For some reason, it was not trademark enough that I, I really picked up on the fact that he always had a cigar. Nope. Uh, granted, it's been years, but uh, he, he has his cigars. He decided when he was going to get into film <laughs> that he needed a trademark, and his trademark was that he was always going to be carrying a cigar, an unlit cigar. And, um,
0: really? He said that?
1: Yeah, it was like it was. He was always gonna have a scar, and and but his cigars were like Fred Williamson's cigars. <laughs> Nobody can get Hammer cigars because he gets his shit flown in from Jamaica and specially made, so they're longer and slightly thinner than a regular cigar. So all these people walking around want to look like the Hammer. They can't do it because <laughs> they can't get his cigars.
3: <laughs> That's that
1: trademarked. I'm just literally verbatim. <laughs> repeating what, what Fred Williamson said here. So that, that was like his, his trademark thing. And even like the interview I watched with him where he's like, you know, late 60s, he's still sitting there with the fucking cigar in his hand. Well, it's, um, it's
0: funny because I, I, I can picture Fred Williamson with cigars in interviews. Yeah. But not in movies.
1: You know, after, <laughs> after he said it, like, I don't know if it's, I'm just being like a revisionist that like I can go back and now think, oh yeah, shit, he did have a cigar in that movie. I remember him having them in those Black Cobra movies.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's like I feel and like I can
0: think of in Inglorious Bastards. I kind of
2: and didn't he also have one in like um, original gangsters?
0: Yeah. Okay. Now, now th- I, see, I always associate well, with Black shit, Caesar. And shit, the, the, cover the, yeah. the cover of
2: the the cover of Inglorious Bastards. The picture they used on the DVD? I think he has a cigar in his mouth. This is
0: original Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, yes. the one
2: directed by Enzo G. Castellari. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Tarantino yeah. one. <laughs>
0: But um, yeah, I guess I guess so. It's-
1: I'm I'm looking up pictures of Black Caesar right now, to see if he had it in there too. <laughs> but they're but they're longer and thinner ladies. They're longer <laughs> and thinner. They're just like they're hammer cigars. You can't get them, man. You <laughs> just can't. I'm surprised he didn't just be in the interview and be like that shit's trademarked. Oh
0: man. Anyway, I love Fred Williamson. I mean, he's great. He's like such a character, and uh, and uh, yeah, he I was think- the
2: best thing about uh, '83's Vigilante.
0: No, Robert Forrester was pretty great.
2: In well, he was, but I thought he Hammer was the best was... thing about this movie. Hammer had that <laughs> that awesome scene in Vigilante where he was like giving the pep talk to the to the neighborhood thing, but that's another story. He's got the
1: cigar and the poster for Black Caesar. At least <laughs> this <you> poster, <laughs> yeah, yeah, here it is. It's, it's in his mouth a lot. Yeah, really? Yeah, wow. not in every scene, but uh, I, I've come across a few photos where he's there with the cigar unlit, hmm. just just stuck. That guy's gonna get like uh, gum cancer, man. <laughs> the-
0: That's pretty cool though that he decided that that was his thing and he fucking did it. <laughs> yeah, his
1: other thing too. He was saying that he couldn't. He, he uh, didn't want to die in any of his movies. This is another yeah. thing that he talked yeah. about, which I didn't realize uh, until going back and looking at it. Um, but he does. He he made an exception for you know. And this is jumping ahead a little bit, but did make an exception for. Nineteen ninety, the Bronx. We're worries. pretty much there. Yeah. But, but why much. wouldn't you make an exception for this film?
0: But he didn't. They didn't show him die.
1: No, because he <laughs> did that. Like cool as a motherfucker, walked into the flames after his place has been torched and sat down and just started smoking a cigar, <laughs> and sat like sat on his throne too. That was the thing. He went and sat on his throne because he had a fu- he had a fucking throne in this too, yeah. uh, which is something we kind of glossed over. But well, uh... he's a
0: pimp? <laughs> What is he? But is he Yeah,
2: I, He's I supposed feel. to be like they're supposed to be modeled after seventies pimps.
0: But I didn't see any hookers. Well,
2: you know, it's it's a pimp pimpin' is just
0: He looked like a pimp. It's pimpin, a look, yeah. not a
2: lifestyle, Josh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <No.
0: laughs> Isn't it the other way around? <laughs> well, in this movie. But yeah, yeah. he's super badass when he goes and like yeah, yeah, like the place is burning and he just is like He's been it. shot
1: twice in the chest, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he's going he goes down with the ship, man. He just walks away and like pulls out his cigar and just behind and you see the flame going up and his face is melting uh yeah and everyone's
2: yeah. getting killed and meanwhile hammer's standing at the top of this hole in the floor watching the other hand, give, Murrowhammer. like moral moral hammer he's up on the top looking down in this pit and yeah. he's giving the best evil laugh i've oh, ever this, heard in a movie that's an amazing cackle
1: oh my god yeah, and it
0: kept going on they kept cutting back to him it was really Point, point he, was,
1: he was getting off on the flamethrower violence See, that was, was going on. was getting off because of that fucking yeah. outfit, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he busts in a YMCA while people are burning. Is
0: that what you're saying? Burn baby burn. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So then what happened tomorrow?
1: He he got shot with a grappling hook and it yeah, was like the tra-
2: trash shoots him with a grappling hook, ties it up to the back of his motorbike, drags him through the ground and then the movie ends. Roll
1: credits. Yeah. yeah.
2: While he's being dragged credits roll yeah but he was
1: dead I think he was already dead by the time he landed on the ground it's
2: like, that's like the most abrupt ending I've ever seen
3: I
1: yeah. was okay with the ending I I cause at first when he got shot with the grappling hook I'm like it seemed like he was just gonna die on the second floor and I'm like they're not they're really not taking advantage oh, you of this just want grappling to hook beat it beat it down a little bit more well I just I, want, I wanted, wanted like, to, I wanted them to do something with, like I, I would have preferred that they showed the grappling hook go right through him so that <laughs> it came out and the, and the blade sprung out behind him so <laughs> that, that you been know great <laughs> and then pulled him down, but as it was, it was just kind of like he was holding it in front of him, like ah. Yeah. ah. <laughs> but that end scene—that was great impression. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but that end scene where 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 uh, uh, Trashes drives off onto the sunset, yeah, without the girl too, right?
0: Well, she got killed.
1: Yeah. So yeah. like the whole movie <laughs> had no point. <laughs> like a okay, they're like well, trying he wasn't to wasn't into chicks anyway. Yeah, but like they're they're trying to bring her to safety, which. She, I feel like they're not really, they're just going and like talking to other gangs about some, like, I think But she
0: wanted to be with trash.
1: Yes. So
0: they weren't trying to bring her anywhere, but
1: they were theoretically were trying to like, it seemed like they were protecting her and they really did a shitty job of it. They were
0: terrible. Yeah.
1: But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was just kind of like, I wasn't sure what their end goal was. Like if they were just going to try and protect her, why they had to go to tiger. Uh, it seemed like they were trying to get her back, over so she could do something good with manhattan industries which was an arms manufacturer right um yeah because her and trash were gonna rule together something, or something. like yeah, that yeah, it's yeah. like uh but no yeah it's just or maybe trash was taking her
2: to the tigers so that they could live up to their pimp namesake
0: no he wasn't and he could make some extra high. money no, he wasn't gonna pimp her <laughs> The, t- the, t- the Tigers wouldn't have done that. No. I don't think he was really into her though. But I mean, he was into her, probably her piano playing. Though.
1: What are you talking about? They had like a whole bed scene together. <laughs> Did she? They? Yeah, she was staying. She was bunking with him. She was. Uh, wasn't she like half naked? Describing you know what it is that her dad yeah. does in his, I don't in his bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: No, they were like ha- they were lying in his room in their bed, and he had his shirt off with the covers down just below, <laughs> just below in the mid chest, and she was there like talking to him about. What her dad does. You don't remember that?
0: No, I guess I was so mad that she wasn't showing her boobs. But you got to watch it a third time, I think. Oh, fuck. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I might have to, actually, because there was a few things that I obviously got wrong here, but as, as always happens on these episodes, but hey. So, um, I don't know. I mean, Enzo Castellari, I mean... The guy made Kioma, which is probably one of my favorite spaghetti westerns, I think. Um, you seen that one, Ed? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So Not that's... in a while, but I, I it's I still have the DVD, uh, <laughs> which I won at Cinemorte, actually, Did years you? ago. Yeah, so and I still have the DVD kicking around. Yeah. It's because it's Franco Nero. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Franco
0: Nero, yeah, plays Kioma. Uh, plays I really love the spaghetti western. And um, but Castellari, and he also made, as we talked about, The Inglorious Bastards, the original version. Which is nothing like the Tarantino one. It's a war movie. But Basically,
2: Tarantino just took the title.
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought it was just pretty run of the mill. I find most of his stuff pretty run of the mill, but this was certainly entertaining. I, I mean, like
1: the. He did Street Law, which is. Another, oh, yeah, th- you're right. He did I haven't seen bunch a long of those, time. So those I like,
0: Italian cop
1: movies. I love those Italian cop movies. Yeah. And Street Law was one of the better ones, from what I recall. We were trying to
2: pr- figure did. out how to pronounce it.
0: Yeah. Polizia. Polizia. Polizia, Polizia films,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was in when I was in university, I wrote a, a, a an essay about them. Um, uh, Did you about Polizia films? I, I wrote a uh, I had to write a, a, an essay about the um, the auteurs auteurs, and I was talking about Tarantino and where his a lot of his influence clearly comes from Polizia films. Yeah, and, no uh, doubt. And, I think this uh,
2: essay needs to go on your Tumblr. No, I don't. I don't <laughs> even know where it is. I just
1: remember i did really well in my film class uh i, I took a film theory class and i, I did really well and i think half of why i did so well is that i was talking about a lot of films that my film professor did not know mm. you know uh, i actually I got shit on there was a girl in my class who got like a c because she did a um uh she did a an essay on um jesus christ who's the guy who did the red white and blue films i'm blanking on his name
0: oh chris, chris or yeah. right
1: and she was like, "He's a serious filmmaker." And I'd written a, a, an essay about Herschel Gordon Lewis, and you know, i like, like, "He's a serious a+. filmmaker." And I'm like, "And she's like, you writing about these like trashy films?" She was all really upset about it, but uh, uh, yeah, the Plitziya films. I wrote, I wrote a whole essay about them way Don't back. Don't let anyone when. tell you HG
2: Lewis is not a serious filmmaker. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, Castleberry did a few Plitziya movies. He did yeah. Heroin Busters and The Big Racket, um, and the other one that we just mentioned.
1: Street I keep, I always, law. yeah, I always keep confusing him with Deodato. Sometimes I don't, don't, I'm not sure why. Because up until just right now, I thought he also did Cut and Run, but that's Deodato, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Deodato. Yeah. He also did the amazing Last Shark, Last Shark, and Shark Hunter too. Is that a? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen those either of the shark.
2: Movies. Oh man, Last Shark is that's like we were saying. That's one that was like so sought sought after when we were doing the tape trading back in the day.
0: It was it's, like a jaws ripoff.
2: Right? A total jaws ripoff. Yeah. They got sued, so they had they had to pull it out of theaters, and they it's never seen a proper release. So that's why it was so sought after on the oh, wow. on the tape trading market. And I've seen it, and yeah, it's, it's, it's bl- pretty freaking blatant.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty shitty though, isn't it? Yeah, I, it's not I, that. I great. can't remember if I've seen it or if I've just heard about it. Because uh, yeah, I used to do a lot of the same tape trading with friends, and I we used to always section <laughs> off different films that each one of us would kind of go after, and. Uh,
0: did you ever have a holy grail that you couldn't get your hands on?
1: Uh um yeah, there's a couple uh one of them for me was the the Street Trash short film that came before oh, Street yeah. Trash. Uh, I did eventually get a VHS H, a VHS copy of it that was like um like 12th generation. It was like so so uh uh snowy and the colors we just like, there was no, it was just like watching blobs, you know, on the screen. Right. There was that, there was, um, uh, what was someone called? It was like the anima, the anima bandit. You ever heard about this? It's like a 70s film. The enema Bandit. Is it like
0: Bandit? a porn? Is it like a... It turned out to be a Jamie porn. Yellow thing or something? <laughs> yes. He was actually in
1: it. Uh, I, didn't realize it was a, I didn't realize it was a porn when I started Water searching Power? it out. Is that the That's one? it. Yes. <laughs> uh, because I was searching... I, I'd read a, a book years ago called The uh, Incredibly Strange Film Book by uh, Jonathan Ross. Yeah. Um, and it talked about the enema Bandit, but he talked about having never seen it. And it just sounded like the most fucked up premise where this guy was breaking into people's houses and forcing animas on them. Yeah. And uh, I searched for it for years and uh, I talked to, Bougie actually was the one who, I, when I <laughs> yeah, mentioned Bougie to him. is all over Yeah, them. he's like, oh, that's, that's water power. That's, you know, and I had no idea it was a porn. Uh, so I was a little bit like not as stoked when I finally found it. But, um
0: so you, because, were, you really wanted to see the Enema movie but you No, were I just wanted I porn. just I actually
1: thought it was like a legitimate release that had come out and it had been sort of shuttered. Oh, there's
0: a fucking legitimate release of that movie.
1: <laughs> but like, so it was just surprising to me that 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 was a film and so I just wanted to see that it actually existed. Yeah. I think other ones for me were, were I've De- never seen it. Uh, it's it's not it's it's pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh Death, Light and Egg was another one that was like a huge huge one for right? me it was the Jello. Jello yeah. I, I still have a pal copy of that at home. And, nice. uh, yeah, I, I think the there's one that I've never been able to track down a good copy of, which was, uh, which is a uh, crazy thunder road, which is a Japanese film, uh, from the eighties. It's a Japanese motorcycle gang thing. Um, <clears throat> which like on paper sounds a lot, you know, like in the similar vein of like, sort of like a wild, a wild zero style film, yeah. maybe not, uh, not as silly, but like, uh, but, yeah, I've never been able to track down an actual watchable copy of that. Wow. So, you?
0: Man, I don't remember. That That was a long time ago, but, yeah. goddamn, damn, I, I used to love that. I used to love perusing just the catalogs of, like, Revok, Film Prodigies, and Video Vortex, which we were talking about yeah. earlier because We're Canadian, these are kind of the Canadian go to ones, and
1: uh, yeah, because you couldn't, you didn't want a chance getting something from the United States because it would get seized. And there was always that worry, like I know for myself at least, if you got something from the States and it got seized at the border, that all your packages from then on would be searched, yeah. And uh, and so you, uh, yeah, I always saved it for very special occasions, uh, especially if you got Anima Bandit in the mail. No, yeah, so. no,
0: you know what happened to me once? I ordered a bunch of stuff from the States, and the guy. Trying to be funny, I guess, threw in a tape called Transsexual Shit Party. <laughs> and it, the whole fucking thing got got right. taken. Yeah, and I lost a bunch of money. But it was hard because Blackest Heart was in the States, and they had some really cool titles and really good descriptions. But uh, I was never able to get my hands on. I remember there was one about a guy who, like, somehow screwed his feet like his feet got screwed to a skateboard somehow <laughs> what and i've always wanted to see this this is probably the one i always right. wanted to see and i never did get around to it i can't remember what it's called but huh. that's the one that kind of sticks out for me
2: he got his feet screwed to a skateboard
0: yeah he like somehow he screwed like literally like screwed a skateboard into his feet and and like became one with the skateboard i can't remember what it's called to try and figure it out but yeah that's that's the one i kind of remember yeah
1: How about you chris
2: I just remember, I wasn't big into the horror comedies back then, so there was, like, Bride of Frank and, like, the Nostril Picker were two ones that I was always looking for. I don't
0: know those ones.
2: Nostril Picker got released by Massacre Video now. Oh, really? But it was, like, this British slasher movie where the guy would just go around picking his nose before killing everybody. (laughs) And then Bride of Frank was just this bizarre, like, regional production with this really old guy who would, like, necrophilia and just ripping people's brains out and like oh, wow. this guy was like 90 years old and it's so bad
0: huh yeah i found a lot of the holy grails when i actually did find them weren't oh, nearly what i
1: imagined there's a uh the one that i remember searching for a long time and getting was big meat eater yep uh well, my, which
0: my girlfriend's mom was the editor of that
1: well that's the thing i didn't know i finally showed up and and uh i didn't realize that it was shot here yeah it's it's It was shot as the Butcher of Berquitlam. Yeah. And I actually met the director <laughs> uh, just through work, a work-related thing, just very briefly. But um, it was just, yeah, the Butcher, a uh, uh, big meat eater, a.k.a. the Butcher of yeah. Uh which, uh, again, is one of those films that on paper sounds like the most amazing thing <laughs> you're ever going to see. Yeah, yeah. And in reality is a slog. It's yeah. like a, a musical, a isn't movie. it? yeah sure it's like a it up, horror yeah. musical yeah. yeah it's it's got is it abdullah the butcher who's in it yeah. there's a wrestler uh yeah I know it's, abdullah the Butcher's in it yeah, no it's i it's need to see guy, it. yeah. oh it's 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 so bad it's so amazingly <laughs> he's bad he got
0: this like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's got, he, he sings abdullah mm, the butcher yeah, sings yeah. okay i'm i'm in no <laughs> we'll have to drink a lot yeah before we watch that one. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I think the, the, for myself, those are the only holy grails. Yeah. Uh,
0: it was a fun time, though. Yeah.
1: it's a fun time. I miss it. I talk about that a lot, like, yeah. about how, like, it kind of sucks now. It, actually, I feel like we're getting back to a point where it's getting harder to find things again. Like, I think the last 10, 15 years was like an embarrassment of riches where everything was being released on DVD. Yeah. And now I find it's a little bit harder to find stuff again because stuff had gone out of print and now it's like $100 again on eBay or whatever. But uh, yeah, I missed a, I missed that hunt, you know, and, and yeah. searching out a video for like 10, 20 years and not being able to find it. Uh, and I had a book that I remember. There was a book I tried to find. I met this guy at a flea market here in Vancouver named Wolf, who had a huge video collection. Wolf, Wolf, and I would go <laughs> to his house. That's his real name, and by, it was his real name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a shirt for Wolfgang. I am Wolf. Um, Come see my videos. But I, I wanted the William Castle. William Castle put out a book called uh, "Step Right Up." I'm going to scare the pants off America. Yeah, yep. and that was a book. It took me forever to find. Yeah, and I remember going to his house to look at his videos, and he had two copies of the freaking book sitting there on his shelf. And I'd been searching that book for like seven, eight years at that point. And I bought a copy for five bucks.
2: The irony of that was, I was just looking at my Amazon wish list yesterday, and it's on there.
1: Yeah, I, I
0: recently and just Amazon it up. has
1: it in stock. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's still a lot of stuff that's you're right it's still still a lot of stuff that's out of print but uh i don't i don't think we'll ever see the tape trading because now with the internet like, yeah it's you just, just uploading yeah you're just torrents
1: now Too easy yeah i miss i miss that sort of like personal like connection like the same with like zines like i was really involved with scenes and stuff back in the yeah. ni- 1990s and you miss like mailing shit back and forth and like yeah. it was video vortex there was always that cool like I used to get like videos. And I would pack videos and send them to him. I remember, and he would look through them and then take a few and send send the rest back and tell me how many like tapes I could get for what I'd send. Oh, them. really? Because they were like even back then they were like twenty bucks a tape. I think through yeah. Video Vortex. Yeah, and like the and the quality when they came was usually not great. No, but you didn't give a shit because yeah. you were seeing the movie, right? That's how. then that's how I got the for your height only too the all oh, the the. Uh, wing wing films oh, yeah, you ever yeah. see those like those are another one that uh took me a while to find i was so yeah. happy when i got them yeah also ter- terrible fucking movies but...
0: <laughs> oh man we could be we could be here all night ed all
1: right sorry
2: <laughs> i think that's how i saw things the first time was oh, tape oh, trading fuck. oh really <laughs> you had to bring up things right? <laughs> i had to <laughs> yeah
1: that was for me that was that's how i met bougie through things right
0: when we mentioned bougie we we're talking about robin bougie and he uh he does a great uh, magazine called Cinema Sewer. Yes. For anyone and who doesn't know, check it out.
1: I call it Bougie because for <laughs> a time there was seven different Robins in the Vancouver comic scene. So it just they, they're all just distilled to the last names now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what actually, my friend Tavis... Um, we used to always talk about, like, worst film you've ever seen. You know, you kind of always want to one-up. And Tavis had, like, things that so he showed me, and I immediately became obsessed with. And then Bougie did an issue of Cinema Surrey where he had worst film ever made. Yeah. which is called Day of the Animals, I think was what he put in there. Did he really? I think so. The William Girdler one? Oh, like, yeah. This a while ago. And uh, <laughs> so I, I made a copy of things. I'd never spoken with him before, and I just mailed it to him. I'm like, hey, uh, like... <laughs> I just read your article. You've clearly never seen this film. And, uh, yeah, but that set off. To, I was, like, obsessed with that film. Probably when you knew me, I was probably obsessed with things.
0: Yeah, you certainly for were. For, like, right?
1: five, five, six years. It was like, a really unhealthy obsession, uh, showing it to anyone who would watch it. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've turned out that the guy who ran Video Vortex, the tape trading thing, was actually Andrew Jordan, who directed things. So I'd actually, even though I was obsessed with the film, did not realize I'd been in contact with this guy for years. Wow. Yeah. Um, but then I went and hung out. I went to. I was in Ontario at the same time that Bear G. Gillis was out there, who stars in things, uh, and went and hung out with him one night. We went out, and had beer and nachos, and, uh, and got to hang out. And you know, there was a, there was a time where I was uh, going to be involved with producing a things sequel uh, as a comic. Um, really? Yeah. It just never never materialized. But uh, didn't there, the
0: sequel get made?
1: No, no, there was never a sequel, yeah but there was we did do uh, Casey Green who's a comic artist, and myself did an adaptation of things as a comic book, Barry really? paid yeah, Barry paid to have Casey draw it. I just wrote it, but he just it was I had tried to do like a sequel and he wanted just like a straight adaptation. I added I think like a prologue to it just to uh try to make the film make some sense and more wormholes, right yeah, <laughs> no wormholes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: They had a wormhole in their kitchen
1: in I that mean, movie. In the cupboard. I've in... never seen Things. What?
0: Yeah, right. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> you guys should just do one podcast where you, like, you just record yourselves watching it.
0: Maybe we'll have to get head back. Yeah,
1: now. I will do that. I'm down for that. <laughs> okay. then Lots, we gotta, lots of beer. Got to get a copy of Things. Yeah.
0: So is has, has The Room taken over for Things? As the I've never piece? seen The Room. It's I've never those, seen it either. Oh, <laughs> it's one
1: of those films that I do want to see. I've just seen it,
2: YouTube clips. Yeah. And I did buy that Disaster Artist book because... The whole thing about
0: yeah, yeah the room
2: it? fascinates me. It's written by the guy who uh, helped him make the movie. Oh, really? And it's about how friggin' bizarre that Tommy Ricola guy is. So I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's really good. All right disaster artist yeah the disaster artist check it out
0: so maybe we should all get drunk and watch things and the room back to back and then record a podcast right after
1: jesus i think things would be enough dude yeah i feel feel like that podcast would be our our last living will and testament (laughs) by the end of it we're just in a corner sobbing
0: (laughs) that's kind of what i was going for we could all be like all right uh, well gregory anyway (laughs)
2: let's get back to 1990 and wrap this bad boy up. up so at the end of now we've gone through the movie. We're gonna go to our if we would recommend it or not. Okay. So who wants to take first honors on this? I one? think
0: our honorable guest should.
1: I would. I would absolutely recommend 1990 Bronx Warriors. <laughs> I think like as nonsensical as as it is, it's still a lot of fun. I, thought, I was like I again. I was saying this earlier. Uh, I hadn't seen it in years, and I was surprised at how how much fun I had had watched, watching it. So. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I left you guys, you know, in the lurch by not watching Escape from yeah. the Bronx. Yeah, yeah thanks again. Yeah. I, I will be watching New Barbarians, though, uh, shortly, which is the third. So I can imagine if the second is terrible, the third is all, only better. But
0: the third has Fred Williamson in it again. Yes. Yeah, so I think you'll be okay. All right. Yeah,
2: we, we both watched Escape from the Bronx in preparation. and, and <laughs> Even Henry, and you,
0: Henry Silva couldn't save it.
2: And you screwed us, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: No,
1: it's, it's okay. I feel so, like Henry, Henry Silva is a pretty good, like... Substitute for Fred Williamson, I'd take Henry Silva almost any day. Well, he I was love a bad guy. guy. He was a substitute I for
0: Vic Morrow, right? But there was this Antonio Sabato Junior.'s dad was in yes. it, and he was kind of he was kind of like a pirate character. Like he looked kind of like a pirate. He had the earring and the like hairy chest, and uh, I thought he was I thought he was a pretty good replacement. It was but... Antonio
1: Sabato Senior. wasn't it? Isn't yeah, that his yeah. name? Antonio. Who Sabato. was the
2: who was the, there was also the was he he wasn't the guy with the explosives. That was another dude. Strike. Oh, there was yeah. a guy in the sequel that had who set up explosives all the time and he had this little kid with him who was like seven who oh, helped, yeah, who yeah. helped set up explosives too.
0: I couldn't stand that little kid. I hate little kids in
2: movies. We- hey boom, eko, boom
0: oh. <laughs> Anyway, lots of shit blew up. It was cool. <laughs> That's um, a good
2: summary of Escape Josh.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I'd recommend this as well, but uh um I think <laughs> this is mark gregory dude like he was just a sight to behold like i just couldn't i couldn't take my eyes off him because i just couldn't figure this guy out like i couldn't figure out what his deal was so just that he's a terrible actor um i thought like he just you could tell it was the first time you could tell he you know he was pulled off the street i mean I think he was just pulled out of a gym by castellari and thrown into this movie um but I, I really, really enjoyed Williamson in this. I really enjoyed The Witch Girl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely has a lot of fun things about it. it. It did get a bit repetitive at times, like Chris said. But overall, I think the casting was very well done. And just enough weird things that happened where you just kind of never knew what was coming around the next corner. So, yeah, I, I'd recommend checking it out, especially if you're a fan of this genre.
2: Well, then we'll make it a triple recommendation. Wow. Excellent. Because I... I I got to say, man, this movie, it's super dumb, but yeah. it's super entertaining at the same time. Yeah. And I, I liked how they had the production design, had all these bright colors and graffiti bumping up against this, like, gritty locations of the factories and all that stuff. It was just like a weird mix. It was like they took a post-apocalyptic movie and, and put it in, like, one of those color spinners with some neon paint. <laughs> it was kind of like that. And, and Mark Gregory, you know, he's terrible. But it still does, it still makes me want to go watch all three of the Thunder Warrior movies now.
0: Thunder. Yeah. Are they just called Thunder? They're called or? Thunder
2: Warrior in North America. They're called Thunder originally. But it's an Italian guy trying to be a Native American. Riffing nice. on Rambo. So I'm down with the Thunder Warrior trio. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I thought he was a lot better in the Escape from the Bronx, too. Um, and did you know that there's a guy, there's a website out there where this guy has kind of made his life ambition to find Mark Gregory?
1: No, yeah, I, I, and, but I'm also not surprised. I find that you kind of stumble across that a lot Because he vanished. Online. He
0: did, made like 10 movies and then disappeared. Anyway, this guy's apparently found him. And there's a photo of Mark Gregory now on this website. I'll try and post the link on our, on our uh, Twitter or something. But uh, he's apparently found him now. He still looks pretty good. Yeah. But we're not sure if it's actually him. Right. Because they haven't made contact yet.
2: Ah. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say if you're into Italian post-apocalyptic movies. Who isn't? Nineteen ninety Bronx Warriors is a pretty good way to go.
0: Yeah, and those motorbikes are pretty badass with the skulls on front.
2: I like the blades coming out of the wheels, yeah. man. Yeah, so good.
0: All right, so that's three recommendations for Bronx Warriors. So go and punish yourselves like we like you like we did. And uh, but yeah, please avoid the sequel, um, unless you really want to punish yourself. Um, so, Ed, I just want to say thanks again for coming. Um, yep. I know this is way longer than uh, we anticipated, so thanks it's for all right. bearing with us.
1: No, thanks for having me.
0: And um, can you just uh, once again tell everyone um, we, you've got a few things coming out in the next couple of weeks and your website?
1: Yes. Okay, so uh, by the time you're listening to this, The Violent has been out for a week, but I still strongly suggest you go down and pick it up from your comic shop. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's probably when Batman and Robin Eternal Eleven has come out. So go check that out and be on the lookout for the last contract on January, January 13th. Sorry. And, uh, yeah, if you want to find me online, I'm at Twitter at Ed Brisson. So E D B R I S S O N. And my website is just Ed Brisson at, or uh, sorry, it's just edbrisson.com. Perfect. And, uh, if you
2: want to get in touch with us, www.thevideograveyard.gb, uh, slash GBW podcast. Perfect.
0: All right. So thanks a lot, Ed. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, good night.